This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 224, flashback to Spider-Man, the Clone Saga. This is Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 224. It's flashback to Spider-Man, the Clone Saga. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'll be joined shortly by my, co- uh, my co-host for this episode, Paul Scores. Uh But just before we actually jump into the episode, I just wanted to lay down the contact information, that kind of thing, so that we can have an uninterrupted flow for the rest of the episode. Uh, so you, if you ever want to email us at Comic Shenanigans, you can do so at ComicShenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, rate or review us on iTunes. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and post in our HC Realms thread when they eventually go up. Uh, this episode... Um, uh, just from background, so I've long been a, a very big Spider-Man fan. Although I don't, it's not necessarily what initially kind of drew me to comics, but it's, well, it's one of the things. Uh, obviously, animated series at the time was a big factor. I mean, when the Spider-Man anima- animated series came about in what '94, I was you know 10, 11 years old, so it was a, a good entry point into Spider-Man. And now that being said, around that time were some very interesting comics that were being written. Uh, with regards to changing what Spider-Man was like for a couple of years when the Clone Saga was happening. So, uh, and then when I kind of started getting more and more into comics, uh, I kind of went back and read a lot of the Spider-Man stuff throughout the Clone Saga. And I always thought it didn't deserve the rap it got. I can see what people, what problems people have with it. And I think knowing that it was over made it easier to read. Because uh, I remember, I remember picking up a Spider-Man seventy-five, which was the end of the Clone Saga, on the uh, on the spinner rack, uh, or at like a at, at a local drugstore in Canada called Chopper's Drug Mart. Um, and there's they're everywhere, and I remember that's where I picked up uh, my Spider-Man seventy-five copy, which was Revelations Part Four, um, and that was I guess ninety-six. So I, again, I would have been thirteen years old. Clone Saga's ending. I'm about to really get into Spider-Man. So I remember reading that issue, thinking this is amazing. Which, to be fair, I think it still is amazing. Um, and so anyways, I went back and read the Clone Saga when they started collecting it in these large uh, epic collections. I was right on board. I was wondering how many it would take. I believe it ended up taking, um, I think it's 12 volumes. Uh, 12 volumes covered the entire Clone Saga. Now, I would say that, um, sorry, I was wrong, 11 volumes. Uh, of the 11, I think the, the first few are the thickest, and I think they kind of ended up shedding the page count to kind of make it a longer thing which is weird when you have so many volumes there's so many collections that never reached their completion like Hulk Visionaries never completed the entire Peter David run but we have the entire Clone Saga in 11 trade paperbacks of which the first 4 or 5 are mammoth uh, the first 5 are branded as the complete Clone Saga epic and then the remaining 6 are branded as the complete Ben Riley epic which I think both are technically incorrect then because uh, really, it should be an eleven-volume set, but I guess if they're, if they're thinking that there's a, you know, maybe people won't want to buy five or six volumes of a book where each chapter is around thirty to thirty-five issue, uh, thirty to thirty-five uh, dollars. Why are they going to want to buy twelve of them or eleven of them in this case? Uh, my apologies in the background. Pretty sure my son is screaming. Um, in, in delight, though, he's having a great day. Uh, why did I choose to do a flashback on the Clone Saga? I've always had a very high regard for it. Uh, I've just enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of good stuff that gets overshadowed by the fact that people didn't like it at the time. 
because of well people did like it up until a point but then the problem is it was bloated went on too long and if you ever read and i really do recommend this if you read the life of riley archives um which you can find online i think it's andrew goletz and uh glenn greenberg where the glenn greenberg was an assistant editor at marvel throughout most of the clone saga and andrew goletz was a fan and they he worked they worked on this amazing project that was online i I forget when it started i think it was like 10 years ago or something like that and it was basically running down the entire events of the clone saga in chronological order and by this is by andrew gullitz and then the um glenn Glenn greenberg would then throw in some commentary uh both like behind and on the scenes but kind of showing what was going on behind the scenes that contributed certain decisions and then commenting on decisions that were made it's uh honestly required reading for anyone who's really interested in the clone saga to really see what was going on um it's fascinating they kept saying that they were going to put out a book and it hasn't materialized, and I keep hoping, and I, I go back to it. Whenever I read the Clone Saga again, or even read parts of it, I go back and I read the Life of Riley archives that correspond with those chapters, because I just think it's such an informative, uh, fascinating read. Uh, so I really cannot recommend that enough. Uh, so Paul and I are going to discuss the Clone Saga, and one of the reasons why I chose it as well. Uh, so I, I really enjoy it, and uh, I was thinking, you know... Paul and I were going to record an episode, and I wanted to do something a little bit longer and a little bit, a little bit for me. Um, I mean, I always do everything for me, but this one especially because uh, we're recording this actually on my birthday, and I was like, you know, what, what really is something that I would really like to talk about? And I realized it was one of two things. It was really going to be the Clone Saga or Age of Apocalypse. And Age of Apocalypse, I just can't, I can't do it without having both uh, Nathan Strzok and Paul Scores at my side to discuss it. It's just uh, too important for our comic book reading lives in terms of where we were um it was very early on for all three of us in terms of reading comics and it's so important and instrumental uh and kind of to one of those uh latch points that we both that was sort of all three of us really kind of latched onto comics and, and that was a huge part of kind of that, that early informative stages for us so uh in lieu of that i went with uh the my not favorite but something i really do enjoy the clone saga so uh strap in and we're gonna have an amazing conversation at least i hope it's amazing um and hopefully paul will get to speak a lot and i won't dominate the conversation like i did with our operations your tolerance episode which i think was a great episode but uh i did a lot of a lot of talking so did nate and unfortunately paul and i think got relegated a bit because we overshadow and overcrowd him so hopefully we'll get to have a lot of paul on the episode so that's the six minute preamble let's get into the episode Welcome, Paul, back to the podcast. Good to have you back. I guess the last time you were on was our uh, Operation Zero Tolerance flashback, which was uh, two hours of, of fun. Um, oh, I probably cast through a bunch of fun at him. Absolutely. Uh, in my intro, I just mentioned that we were talking about the uh, Clone Saga today, and now we're not going to go as nearly as in-depth as we normally do with our uh, kind of our flashbacks that we do together. Usually we go intensely uh, issue by issue. Uh, th- not this today, would be impossible yeah, to do this. We're looking issue. at something that's taking place over the course of two years, um, of which not only is it two years worth of comics, but that's like four comics a month for two years so that's a lot of comics plus a lot of other specials and all sorts of gobbledygook that go with it um <laughs> let's set the stage this is 1994 how old are you 94 uh that was not I a skill testing I, question I, sorry i can't do the math on that okay you're born in what 79 all right so you're 15 years old are you reading spider-man at this time or do you come to the clone cycle later? Or no, I, when, I, when I started reading any level of Spider-Man, it was 
just when the, Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, had hit the scene. So, so was he already as Scarlet Spider at that point when you started, or? Yes. Okay, so yes. it was a few months in now. So I basically started reading Spider-Man comics in the Clone Saga. Uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which many would say is one of the worst periods to start reading. Um, they're they're wrong because that's yeah no obviously you have a, you have a love for the character and your love for Ben Riley has continued. I mean, your son's name comes from Ben Riley. Correct. You buy Ben Riley anything and anything <laughs> that you can get your hands on. Yeah. You have a, a, a Scarlet Spider hoodie. Um, you know anything with the name Scarlet Spider? Generally, you are attracted to. I am so, all over. Yes. So obviously, I mean. Not everything in this period is good, but I think there's a lot of good to be had. No, no, you look at all the what, how many volumes here? We got, we got 11, volumes, vo- 11, 11 volumes of, here. of stuff. Like, of course, right? And there's lots of '90s goodness <laughs> in here, to say the least. Like, I was just flipping through this one, like, who's this weird chick with the the meshing and the purple hair and is the that, horns? Um, no, you're flipping through volume five, five of the, of the, Clone, uh, Saga the Clone Saga epic. So that's an issue of New Warriors and. That just looks like a train wreck all over. Um, right. Yeah, I don't even know what that's about. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird period. But yeah, I, I think this period get, gets an unfair rap. Um, it is in the dark and dirty 90s where people don't really want to talk about comics that were made in that period unless they're at the kind of the tail end when quality kind of started to come back. I think that this is uh, an interesting period because... Uh, DC was DC and Marvel were both kind of ripping down their heroes in a lot of ways. Like you look at DC, killed off Superman, they broke Batman's back, they destroyed Hal Jordan completely and made him a villain. Like they were taking things apart and then putting new characters in their stead or revamping. And then Marvel was doing the same type of thing, not to the same extent, but with I mean you had Maximum Carnage in '93, which was very like kind of mindless as a storyline and now you have in 1994 suddenly we reintroduced the clone who was thought to be dead in the mid 70s um when it was originally started it was meant to be a relatively short storyline uh i think it was maybe tops about six months uh and ended up going on two years i mean if you chart excuse me amazing spider-man it started in issue 394 of there or at least the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man that was uh, related to this and then it ended around i believe 418 417 so that's a, a good stretch. It's almost exactly two years. Uh, did it need to be two years? No. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of garbage in the middle. I would think these Scarlet Spider books are probably amongst the worst. Um, but we'll kind of get there. So that's this is what brought you in. But yeah, that's what brought me. In. I I got hooked by the costume right away. I loved the blue hoodie on on the red on the red spandex. Very very like nineties. Yeah. Look at it now. You're yeah. like really? No, I'm I I've always loved this costume. I love the. The different things he had, the uh, the paralyzing stingers and the, and the impact webbing, I thought was a oh, great little thing. I, I did love impact webbing. Even the pouches on his ankles, like it just. Yeah. Work. I don't need pouches in the nineties, right? E- so even his belt has like it's it's got the same type of stuff that Peter would have, but it's it's all exposed. Yeah, you can see it all. Even the web shooters. I mean, I remember. I think it was in the Jackal Files one shot. They 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 showed like a cutaway of how they worked, and it was interesting to see that you know Peter had the standard ones that had the uh, the trigger that went up into the palm, whereas with Ben's they had nothing like that. It was all flick of the wrist, so it had nothing to do with his fingers at all. And right. I guess that's probably, I mean, that's kind of the nerdy things that some people someone wrote that, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I, they probably did that because people always wonder, well, how is he, you know, grabbing a can of pop and not splooging web everywhere, you know, because like he's 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 depressing this trigger. So instead, they made it so it's like this very specific wrist motion. Well, I guess eventually didn't it come out that the trigger had to have a certain amount of pressure to yeah eject any type of fluid. 
Yeah, that's very specific though. Like no, uh, absolutely, but yeah, well, it's that's the type the work of around, that's right? the minutia of, of comic book fans in general, right? right? Like we'll come up with that kind of stuff. But yeah, like how does he actually stick to stuff through the costume, all that kind of crap, right? That's... Yeah, no. So you you came in, Scarlet Spider was already around. Did you continue when Ben became Spider Man? Yes. You followed through. Yes. So when did you stop reading Spider Man? Well, again, this is also in an era for me where I just started getting comic books. I hadn't really discovered a comic book store. Didn't know the whole concept or idea of a, of a drop box where you can reserve comics that get brought to you. It's just a matter of going to the store every, mm-hmm. trying to go every week and hoping, you know, and I didn't know what time it was every Wednesday, whatever. Yeah. I, you know, just going every so often and grabbing the next issue if I could get my hands on it. And if you got lazy or something came up and you forgot when you were on vacation, you'd suddenly miss a bunch and you're like, oh crap, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Back issues for the places I went to were maybe only a couple of weeks back at best. Oh, really? You couldn't find anything really, really older. Because, hmm. again, the, the one place I went to at first was a card store, right, for trading oh. cards. and uh, That was very common. Yeah, absolutely, right? And they just had a small rack of comics. That was when my, I went to them for a while. Eventually, I discovered Grey Region at Square One, hmm. um, and they were a source of some comic books for a while. Um, but they were always... Um, there, it wasn't the greatest comic book shop so i didn't go okay. there an awful lot yeah um so no, yeah i remember that kind of thing because i mean i don't think i went to my first comic book shop till maybe 96 or 97 so when i remember reading some of these issues it was just they were at like a convenience store like they're back when convenience stores used to kind of have racks of comics mm-hmm. or you know kind of on the on the bottom level with all the other garbage they just have a few comics kind of yeah. thrown in they'd be in rough shape usually those comics. yeah but you know you've you bought them i mean i remember getting um speaking of like kind of the early clone saga uh i still remember the number hold on i can think of it amazing spider-man 396 it was my first exposure to daredevil um and it's uh, daredevil in his you know 90s his armor. armor costume which is why I have a statue of that character. It's because I've, I've always connected with that. Because that was my first Daredevil. As right. much as it's not the best Daredevil storylines by any stretch of the imagination, I would say some of his yellow and red is probably better than his armor. Um, it's just such a striking visual. And again, it's 90s and it maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, it, that was... I remember getting that comic for like my birthday or something. And it was like... It was part three of four, but it was really the first two chapters really didn't matter because I didn't feel like I missed anything but then I was just like what happens in the next chapter Spider-Man's about to die he he was infected with a you know it was called the excuse me I believe it was called uh, Back from the Edge but it was all about you know he had the serum in his body and it was super exciting and I remember I actually seeking out the next chapter at a convenience store because I was like I need to know how the story ends um it was. I didn't really start buying Spider-Man comics on a regular basis. I would say almost until after the Clone Saga. But I went back and wanted to fill it in because I had read a few issues that a friend had, and I was really interested in it. I really liked it. But um, yeah, it was just an interesting period. Now, Paul, you're flipping through Volume One. What are you looking for? Just the first issue that I can remember getting. Just so I can reference it. Okay. Because I know like this this stuff here is amazing. Uh, amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man three ninety four. Yeah, I got that. I found these later on at a comic book show, like a fan expo or something. Okay. I remember finding like all the shiny covers and all. Yeah, the holographic f- yeah. foil cover. Very common in the 90s, all those fancy foily it was, holographic covers. It, it, it mixed in a few different things, because it was like this, you had either a regular edition or you had this kind of foil cover, and 
each, um, I don't know for sure if this was true of the regular one, but I knew it was true of the foil one. It was also a flip book, the first four chapters of the Clone Saga. It was called, uh, a storyline called Power and Responsibility. It ran through uh, Web of Spider-Man 117, I can't believe I remember these numbers, Spectacular Spider-Man 217, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 394, and I think I want to say Spider-Man 51. Um, wow, that's specific. Um, that's very specific. Yeah, so that that's where the Clone Saga really started, and it's interesting to go back and like we have these, you know, you and I both, I believe, we have the complete run sure. of this. Okay, um, so there's these eleven trades. I mean, it's interesting to see how they were seeding it at the time, and this is what I remember from reading my comic, uh, Amazing Spider-Man three ninety six uh, that I got as a kid. Is I remember reading it, and I was reading the letters pages, and it was the the um, there was this mysterious character on his way to New York because. Uh, to find Aunt May, and also because Aunt May had a heart attack, she was in the hospital. Things were getting dark in the Spider books, and um, I remember all the letter writers being like, "It's got to be a clone. It's got to be the clone of Spider-Man." And it's really interesting to read that kind of stuff because the internet didn't exist. The only no. way to express your thoughts and your, you know, your theories, uh, everything you would do on a message board now, five minutes after you read an issue, is instead to write a letter, send it into Marvel, and then they would publish it. And I just think. I, I love that kind of stuff when I pull out my old singles. That's one thing that trades will never be able to replicate because they refuse to in, input these old letters pages. Correct. But that used to be part of the experience. I mean, even even uh, when we were talking about you know Operation Zero Tolerance before and Onslaught and everything, people used to have so many cool ideas and theories that they would they would just they really wanted to to put it out there and and contact Marvel. And I used to love reading those letters pages. That was part of the fun of the comic. Um, it's too bad that they were mostly absent now because that, that again, that's a part of the experience I remember from growing up. Well, with the digital age now, it's all over the internet. You don't need to I know. print it. Like they, they kind of do it on the odd issue, then they disappear for three weeks and they'll yeah. print pages again. Oh, we're going to get back to doing this again. It's not regular. I no. mean, the, it's inter- this is a, a tangent which is not uncommon. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting that like when Stanley kind of started making... Marvel into what it was in the 60s when he really started rejuvenating the, the company with all these books he was putting out. The idea of, you know, connecting with the reader and you got a sense of who everyone was and he was right, he had his soapbox and, you know, everyone knew about the bullpen and all this kind of stuff. This this kind of cult of Marvel that kind of started getting propagated. Uh, it's interesting that they don't, in the comics themselves, they don't do anything to foster that anymore. I mean, if you understand Marvel's online presences, like you would go to you know, Newsarama, and they'll, they'll have articles about Marvel, and you go to comic book resources, and they'll have, you know, the editor-in-chief of Marvel will have, like, a column, and right. they're reaching out. Yeah. But, yeah, and the Cup of Joe, that kind of stuff. So, if you're at conventions, you can kind of get that taste. Uh, if you're online, you can get that taste. But there's nothing in the actual comics anymore. No. Right? As far as I know, that really do that. DC actually kind of does, but it's garbage. It's, like, they have a few things that they've been doing, but uh, for a while, they actually... I remember Dan Deal used to write, like, a page at the back of every comic. Uh, DC All Access or something. And I thought that was always a, a really cool idea. Because if I was a brand new reader, I'm not going online and finding out all the news and all that stuff, but that that's how you're doing it. You're doing it in the comic. Anyways, that was a total tangent. <laughs> um, so this is it here. Web of Spider-Man, Buck 18. This is my first. That's your first? Yeah. The first is, appearance of Scarlet Spider. This is my first... Um, I think a, a friend of mine told me about it and gave me a copy of his issue of this. Really? And I saw this, and I, this is awesome. Actually, I have, uh, I painted this. Oh, yeah? I, have a paint, I did a grade, maybe 9 or 10 art class. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could and, get an uh, original cover of that someday? 
How much did you? How much did you pay for the original art of that cover? The original art? Oh, if you could, I, who knows? I mean, not how much it would cost. How much would you want it? Like, would you would you hang that proudly in your home? Could oh you, yeah, I guess if you could get that yes. cover. Who's who did this? Uh, let me see. So, I don't. Oh, Stephen Butler. It's not even a very. I wouldn't say he's a very well known artist. Um, these days, I mean, yeah, Stephen Butler did the cover and also did the artwork on the interior issue, which is something you don't see as often these days, where the covers are actually by the uh, interior artist. That's not. True. It's not as common anymore. It's interesting too. See how expensive comics were. Two dollars and five cents Canadian. Man, that sounds good. No kidding. Yeah, or a dollar fifty US. Man, we were already getting gouged. It's that early. Um, oh well, yeah. The, the, well, back then the difference be like. We well, it got a, really bad in the early 2000s. Yeah, but. trades and even regular mass paperback books were mm-hmm. 11 for us and 6 bucks for Americans or something stupid like that. It's interesting that if I was ever to give this, this you know, the entire clone saga to someone to, to read for the first time, I feel like I'd have to tell them, don't read the first, like, I don't know, third of this trade. Because, now, for, for uh, the sake of chronology, which makes sense, uh, they started off with, like, the origin of, of Ben Riley, which that part makes sense because I was in the original the original month of issues. Um, this was the flip book. So it makes sense that they would start with this to kind of introduce you to the Ben Riley character. Uh, but from there, it goes into the Lost the lost Years, which, which is... Which comes out one of the, at the end, doesn't it? Way, kind of way the, later. Way later. I think it is 96. And it's one of the best things to come out of the Clone Saga, in, in a lot of people's opinion, because... It's amazingly well written by J.M. DeMatteis, who was a, just a really good Spider-Man writer. It's by John Romita Jr. and probably his best artistic period. The least amount of mushy faces you'll ever see. It's the least dirtiest of his work. It looks sure. like he's got the most amount of time to spend on making everything work. Like we've said on the show before, if you give John Romita Jr. time, his artwork can look fantastic. When you have him on a monthly, his, his, his book quickly becomes... Scribbles. A lot of scribbles. Um, but his work on Lost Years was fantastic. But it does not make sense based on the... like They, they, they put it for chronology of the actual story and not how it would make sense. Because if you had never read this before and you read Lost Years, he's explaining that he's Spider-Man now and he's the one and only. And you're like, what? what? Yeah. What's happening? And then, you, and then you then you flip the pages and then suddenly you're like two years, two years earlier. None of that's happened yet. And it's kind of it's jarring. It's very odd decisioning. Um... No, I get it, though, because where else would you put it? It's a flashback story. You have to put it in the chronology. Like, it doesn't fit anywhere else. It's not him talking about it at a certain time. Like, I guess it's once he become, knows he's Spider-Man, but it, the, the books were so... But he doesn't really figure it out until the very end anyways, once Ben turns to mush, right? Oh, in terms of... No, I mean, in the st- Lost Years, though, has Ben saying he's the one and only. Like, he's the one and only Spider-Man. So, I mean, he's not... He's not unsure. Um, I want to talk about the initial storyline. I'm going to pass over large segments of this, but... Sure. The initial storyline... Uh, when was the last time you read Power and Responsibility? Oh, man. Centuries. Centuries? Yeah, um, it's got one of the most 90s villains possible. Actually, two of the most 90s villains possible coming in basically at the same time. The Scryer who at the time was supposed to be this, like, godlike being who knew almost anything, as well as Judas Traveler. I mean, how 90s is this character? With He's got, like, belts and, like, weird capes and, like, the weird long, like, the long white hair and, like, the the weird mustache. 
and like all sorts of you know baubles and gauntlets and has some sort of psychic powers like he's basically the the biggest cipher of a character <laughs> and he only we only really find out more about him when he last appears in like what amazing spider-man 416 like he just here he's just this weird character that being said, when we jump into the storyline, Spider-Man is probably his darkest period. They haven't reprinted the stuff building up to the storyline yet, and I can't wait till they do, because I've never really read all of it. Um, because, I don't know, do you know how Spider-Man got to be where he was at this point? Where he's super dark and emo and being like, I'm the spider, and he wants you know Peter Parker to basically be dead. And he's been, no, I... He's webbing himself up into a cocoon. Like, do, do you know why he's like this? No. No? No. So, Maximum Carnage was a low point for the... I mean, the character went through a lot. Yeah. Uh, Harry Osborn died. That was obviously a big deal. Right. And then... And his parents were back, right? But then his parents weren't really back. They were robots. Because that's... It's the early 90s, so this is a thing. So, it's like half half clone, half robot. Um, he finds out that, you know, they're not real. That really destroys him inside. And then he finds out the chameleon was behind it. So, he goes after the chameleon and nearly murders him. And then um, he goes into some warehouse, I think it's a warehouse, and he finds like this computer screen, touches this button, and it's just the Green Goblin's face just saying, and his voice saying, gotcha. So, and so Harry Osborn's big plan was to bring back you know, Peter Parker's parents, but it's not really Peter Parker's parents, and then torment him and, and use it to kind of destroy him. Harry Osborn's already dead at this point, having reconciled at the moment of his death. Uh, with Peter, and so this kind of r really messes with Peter, and so this is kind of where we find Peter afterwards. Oh. He, he has a really bad, well, not really bad, it wasn't a bad storyline, but he has a brutal fight against Shriek, um, who, again, another holdover from Maximum Carnage, really kind of unsettle, unsettles the character. So when Power and Responsibility starts, he's extremely dark, um, he's wanting to withdraw, Mary Jane has left him briefly to uh, deal with her own family stuff, um, and so... And this is where people started wondering, and and this was intentional, is that you have Ben Riley show up, um, worried about Aunt May. She's just had a heart attack. So, again, that's another bad thing that's happened. So a lot of shit is going down. And the idea that Spider-Man's starting to break. And so the idea that they were planting in the reader was, well, now we have this other guy. Looks identical. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he seems to be more fun. He seems to... Be more like the Peter we remember, as opposed to what Peter had become at this point. Which is probably what attracted me to him so much, too. Partially. Like, he didn't have the baggage. Yeah. And he also wasn't married, and that was actually a huge thing, is because this was their first attempt at One More Day, basically. Before they decided to make deals with devils and make marriages vanish, they decided, what if we brought in this, this other guy and replaced him and just had him be Spider-Man? And the Peter we had... I mean, I don't think initially they were ever going to make it so that necessarily Ben was the, the original Spider-Man because it does invalidate certain things. But that was kind of the idea, that we'd be left with a Spider-Man who had no attachments. Right. The problem is, at the end of the day, if you ask someone who Spider-Man is, he's going to say Peter Parker. He's not going to say Ben Riley. Very true. It's kind of like, I mean, there was a period in the 90s where there was, I don't know if you remember, the Matrix Supergirl. It was like this weird protoplasmic entity that ended up calling itself Supergirl. And that was the Supergirl for years. Yeah, this is a real thing. This happened in DC. I yeah, do not remember that. In fact, the one in uh, Reign of the Superman and like Death of Superman, there was a Supergirl at that time, not his cousin. It was from a pocket universe, from another ver uh, heroic version of Lex Luthor created this entity called Matrix. And in the mid '90s, it then bonded with a with a girl and became angelic and was still Supergirl. The problem is, it's, when you ask people who Supergirl is, 
it's Superman's cousin. Right. So, ne- so this character could not really, like, eventually things go back to their most, most iconic way. The one exception to this, I think, well, one of the few exceptions would be um, Dick Grayson. He's one of the few characters who's been allowed to not always be regressed to Robin. Necessarily. Right. I mean, a lot of people do know him as Nightwing. That being said, when you have a new cartoon, it's usually Dick as Robin, right? I don't know. Usually. I don't know. Maybe less more, and less a lot, so. A lot more Tim Drake recently. Absolutely. Like and then they're shifting now slowly to Damien. Yeah, that's right? true. I mean, yeah, because he's showing up in other, in other media. Yeah. That's true. In the Young Justice show, it was Dick Grayson started out as Robin. And in the, in the second season, they made him Nightwing. And then they had the Tim Drake Robin, which was nice. Uh, but I would say, generally speaking, he's one of the few characters who doesn't always get regressed there back was, to there being... There Teen Titans, the... Uh, not the... Well, you can call it cutesy animated, I guess. The one in the early 2000s? Yeah, the, guy, the same guys who made... Was um, that supposed to be Dick Derek, or Tim? Well, Derek Wyatt designed it. He did Transformers Animated as well. Okay. Um, and it was always the mystery. Is, is it Dick or Tim? But I think based on how the relationship works out with Starfire and Deathstroke, everyone more concedes Dick. Dick. Yeah. Yeah. But you should... Like, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, at the same time, when... Like and this is telling when the new fifty two happened and they wiped out so much stuff, they still kept the multiple Robins. You know, like they got rid of everyone else's history except for Green Lantern. Green Lantern and Batman were the only books on phase, and part of that's because people don't want to go back to Batman and Dick Grayson as Robin. That's that's just no one's interested in doing that. Right, but you still could have had Batman Grayson be Nightwing and Tim Drake. Yes, you could have. Damien factor. But I'm, I'm more focusing on Dick Grayson, though, in this sure, instance, sure. because the fact that he doesn't always get regressed, and that these other characters do, uh, like, at the end of the day. So that's why Ben Riley's time as Spider-Man was always going to be kind of limited, because at the end of the day, he's not that recognizable. How is Dick Grayson doing as a secret agent man now? Oh, uh, you know, it's not a bad book. It's just not what I'm interested in. Like, no. it, it's, it's not bad at all. In fact, sometimes it's quite good. I think if it was... Just a secret agent man working as an undercover. Like, it could be any... It could be John Pell Valley. Like, it could be any agent of the bat. It would work, and it doesn't need to be Dick. Right. Um, that being said, they played up some of the acrobatic stuff, and, like, that... You know, the fact that he has this kind of thirst for danger, but he's also very, like, debonair, and... I don't know. It's not bad. It's just not Nightwing. Which is what I want to read. So I'm, I'm with you. So, I mean, for those who just want to read Dick Grayson books, then there's still something there... Uh, it still does feel like Dick Grayson, but again, I want to see him as Nightwing. I want to see him in the costume, fighting costume villains, not working as part of a spy team. It doesn't mean that that's not a great uh, concept. It's just personally not what interests me about the character. So, back to back to, back cl- to the clone, clone saga. Yeah, so that that kind of gives you a sense of where Peter was at this time. So the idea they were building is that you know this other guy who's you know the same but different. Um, because I picked up the Maximum Carnage trade at some point in mm-hmm. the midst of all this, just to okay. read it. I thought it was, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty crazy, pretty gritty storyline, but I had no idea that that was a precursor to this, yeah, absolutely. this darkness for Peter. That's a, well. Like, the, yeah, I mean, the, the world was darkening for Peter, and I think, again, that was just a, an expression against what comics were doing at the time. They needed to go darker. They were competing against these video games that were more... Become, well, now we would say they're not violent at all in comparison to what we have now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, like that was it was a very big threat um, 
comic books are becoming more and more marginalized. And, and uh, wasn't Image too coming with very Image mature was in the content? Early, Image was in the early nineties, very yeah, breaking barriers. They didn't have the comics code; they were kind of doing what they wanted. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of pressure at the time to kind of go dark and gritty. Um. It's interesting because Batman, the whole Batman breaking of the bat, and then having the the armored Batman, was actually a story about why bruce wayne's version of batman was better and why it wasn't grim and gritty wasn't the way to go they went too far with it but i think that was the original concept so this whole initial storyline that we get in um in power and responsibility is all about kind of showing the differences between the two spider-men showing that maybe spider-man isn't too far gone but it's it's honestly it's a very bloated storyline that doesn't make a lot of sense at times <laughs> Uh, but it leads into the book basically splitting. So you had four Spider-Man titles at the time. Web That's of, right. Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Adjectiveless Spider-Man, and Amazing Spider-Man. So after this point, you spun it off so that Web and um, Spider-Man were just Scarlet Spider-focused for the next few months. And you had Spectacular and Amazing taking on Peter Parker. So the first Web of Spider-Man storyline that you, I guess, then started reading yep. was The Exile Returns, yep. which... On a, if you look back at it, it was a great way of setting up a, a, the character to kind of understand his motivations, why he's going to stay in New York. Um, he has him going up against his own first kind of villains that he gets, well, not his villains, but villains that he kind of gets to test his metal. You get the new costume. You introduce a bunch of supporting cast members that only he relates to. Um, just, again, I think it holds up better than uh, you would expect. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? No, I, I've always gone back to read this issue. Um, I, it's, I have the my original single of that mm-hmm. lying in a, in a box of, uh, of comics that are... And various storylines are important to me. And mm-hmm. I always kind of grab that and open it up. I'm trying to find the other issue. There's another um, cover. I can't seem to find it. Just, again, again, Scarlet Spider um, webbing through an alleyway. Uh, oh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Because I, I have a good memory. For oh well, old things for things that were that's yeah that's the one is yeah, that yeah, the cover that's the okay cover right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh it's actually web of scarlet spider number one I think okay um it's also the cover to the amazing spider man uh, completely Ben Riley oh, yeah, epic volume one, one. Tree. okay that's the one um yeah. it's interesting too like going through like do you remember Ken Ellis as a character who was kind of the scumbag reporter that was always hounding uh, Ben Riley he's the one who I actually call says calls him scarlet spider he's right? the one who calls six. him to him yeah yeah I also like that too that Ben Riley didn't go out trying to be a hero at first. He didn't even like the name. He just kind of threw a costume together. Like, it was just to hide his identity when he went up against Venom. Again, this is another thing that editorial was doing at the time was, I don't know if you remember the amazing, that Spider-Man made a deal with Venom that he wouldn't fight him as long as kind of Venom stayed in San Francisco. Do you remember this? Vaguely, yes. Yeah, so the whole idea here is that this Ben Riley version is like, why would he ever do that? That's 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 ridiculous like and it's kind of a commentary on the writers at the time saying that's kind of a silly idea so this spider-man is not going to stop and he has to put down venom um and it's cool too because because they're not the things i think ben riley has a really easy time against venom because this, his his spider sense works i mean first of all that's kind of an unfair advantage when but they also kind of use the impact webbing to show that he has he's a little He's he's using his tools in a way that Peter hasn't, which, if you think about it, makes no sense. He's been on the road for five years, but he's had time to develop crime-fighting techniques that Peter hasn't had time to do. How is that possible? Yeah, but you don't know when he's been doing it in his spare time. Like, he's still... He's still Peter's clone. He's still intelligent Yeah, but he's... Individual. Like, it's almost like he's problem-solving a problem that doesn't exist because he's not a 
not a crime fighter. You would have thought Peter would have sat down and been like, hmm, impact web is a good idea. You know, something that can hit someone and immediately expand or these stinger darts. Like, they're really good ideas. I'm surprised that they don't integrate them more into what Peter's regular arsenal is. Yeah, but we know... Peter's a bit slow based on what Superior accomplished, right? I know. But his clone should be just as slow, if not slower. <laughs> Why is his clone smarter? But, um, yeah, it's I'm weird. sure that they're different people. They did the same thing with, with Kane, right? When he donned the Scarlet Spider. Um... No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this initial storyline, it's, it's, it's very, you can tell it's of the 90s because, like, it introduces Kane. Uh, it has, you know, Venom in it. Also has another symbiote, uh, what was it, Scream? The, the female one. Yes. I mean... It's also interesting. I remember uh, collecting trading cards for, for Marvel, and there was, uh, there was Flare 94 and 95, and there was this card. I remember seeing on the checklist, it was Scarlet Spider versus Venom. Oh, this is going to be a cool-looking card. I can't wait to see yeah. this. But all it is, it's an extreme close-up of, like, half of Scarlet Spider's face, and you see the kind of Venom claw in the background of it. It's this brutal piece of art. It's like... How, how is this a versus anything? All you see is an eyeball of a mask and a, a finger. It's oh, so it. bad. That's so it? disappointing, yeah. That's too bad. I was so stoked to get this card. I finally got it. I go, oh, what a what a letdown. That's too that's too bad. That's actually reminiscent of uh, the cover to Spider-Man 52, which is kind of a little bit similar. Just Venom drooling on Scarlet Spider. Um, one thing I do want to make mention of is that the artist at this time. Um, we had Mark Bagley on Amazing Spider-Man, who is... For me, always going to be this the Spider-Man artist. I know he did more work on Ultimate, but for me, just his regular Spider-Man, I love. I love his take on Peter. Um, uh, Tom Lyle was doing these Spider-Man chapters at this time, who is one of my favorite artists, um, at least his Spider-Man material. Uh, you had Sal Buscema on Spectacular, which, honestly, I did not learn to appreciate him until years later. Uh, at the time, I didn't like his art. I thought it was very old school and didn't look as modern. And then you had uh, Stephen Butler doing uh, Web of Spider-Man, which was some really good material. Um, so those first few storylines, I mean, again, The Exile Returns is all about setting up Ben Riley to be his own character and to really make you fall in love with him. Um, and it worked. It, it Absolutely, it worked yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, now, going forward from that... Two. Hammy Volume 2 here. Yeah. All right. So as you have The Exile Returning, you have Spider-Man becoming as dark as possible... <laughs> Uh, in a storyline called Back from the Edge, which, again, you're going up against Puma. Uh, there's a, a very seldom-used character named Nocturne. The The best part about these storylines was that you had Jim DeMatteis doing a very uh, mature take on Peter, just struggling with who he is. And, uh, again, if you think about putting yourself in this guy's shoes, he's already had a life full of loss, but now you also have his wife kind of left him briefly um, to, to kind of figure things out with her own family, his aunt's in the hospital, potentially dying again. It's not like it's the first time. And he thought his parents were back to life, and now they're dead as well. So he's got a lot to deal with, and the fact that his former best friend who recently passed away is also the one who did half of this shit to him. Um, so all he kind of wants to do is is just, you know, blot it all out, and um, that's kind of what this Back from the Edge is all about, is him sinking pretty deep and trying to get his way out of this hole. Uh, especially in the um, aforementioned Amazing Spider-Man 396, which is my first issue of Amazing Spider-Man I really remember reading, uh, which had uh, Mark Bagley doing Daredevil, which was, I mean, for me, this was everything. I was just like, oh my god, who's this character? Like, it was really awesome. Um, I think the arm looks pretty slick. I liked it. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Oh, for sure. 
Right. And then also too, I mean, it was a very much like Daredevil's telling Spider Man that you know he basically has to kill off the Peter Parker side of him. And re- reading it now, I mean, I realized as a kid, I had no idea who Matt Murdock was. This is my first, you know, if this is your first time ever seeing Daredevil, he mentions that you know Daredevil's that Murdock's dead and he's not Murdock, but you don't really see who he is. So I'm like, who who is he? It was this big mystery for me as a kid. But looking back on it, I'm like, it's pretty obvious what's going on, but, right? As a, as a kid, I was just it was the mystery of it, and uh, you also had the vulture and the owl. Who again? This is probably the coolest version of the owl because if you know anything about the owl, Paul, do you know what he usually looks like? He looks kind of slovenly. Like, he looks like the mole man with wings. Kind of, yeah. Right? But this is like the the most intelligent. Well, kind of nerdy with the giant goggles, but sure. coolest version of the owl you'll ever like, this see. This is like this one here is like Doc Hawk meets the Vulture, you know. Absolutely, yeah. and then the Vulture at the time was like the young Vulture, and I remember and this is this is uh, oh yeah yeah right at the end of the storyline, you know, he gets nicked with this virus and Spider Man's gonna die, and that was this was my first issue. I'm like, I need to read the next one. What the fuck's gonna happen to Spider Man? Which was Spider Man 219. And I remember opening the first page to Spectacular Spider Man 219 and being so upset. What like, they do to Daredevil's family? <laughs> because the cover's really cool. It's by Sal Buscema, but it's still, it's still pretty cool. You got Daredevil in the background. You have Spider Man with like a vial in front of him because he's dying. And then you open up that first page and it's the worst shot of Daredevil possible. Uh, I think but if that, I. But that's Spidey hallucinating, right? That's not exactly supposed to be Matt Murdock. No, it, that's really him. Yeah. No, that's, that's no. You you see by the fun scene. This is this is Peter looking at uh, him hallucinating. That's he's got his sharp, jagged teeth. Now that's hallucination. Okay. Let's hallucination. say let's say I buy that because you don't. Next the next page, it's cleaned up, right? Uh, Look at this like cone shaped okay, head. Fine. It's hallucination. I guess it's, it's ugly. Al- I agree, but that's not legit, Matt Murdock. That's Peter As, going. Uh, right. Oh, well, sir, I'm fucking with my brain. It's pretty awful. You're the devil. Um, Run away. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a, it's a good storyline. I remember at the end. Uh, Spider-Man takes the antidote and we're like oh everything's fine and at the very last page we find out the antidote wasn't a fake and I remember for a while I never knew what happened next I obviously knew Spider-Man didn't die but it's like what the hell happened Um, so that was two months of the Spider-Man books you had The Exile Returns and Back from the Edge I swore to you Paul that I was not going to do storyline by storyline and I'm starting to do that I promise that will stop in a moment uh, this is, I think, the best part of the Clone Saga. The beginning is the best. Sure. Because it's the most clear in some ways, because it's not about storylines going on too long. You get very definite ideas of who the Scarlet Spider is who Sp- and what Spider-Man's going through, and then they start to cross-sect, leading up to 400. It's after 400 that things kind of go, go more astray, I would mm-hmm. say. Do you think that's kind of a fair... I think so. A fair comment? Yep. Uh, so Web of Spider-Man 120 starts the Web of Life, whereas in the, Sp- um, the Peter Parker-centric books, you had Web of Death, which is, again, a very clear counterpoint. And it would look like they're going to kill off Spider-Man and bring in Ben Riley to replace him, which... You know, it was kind of a radical idea. Now, looking at the cover, Grim Hunter. What a terrible character. Uh, um, Craven should not have kids. <laughs> he said he has, what, three kids? He has Grim Hunter, Aloysia Craven, and then the girl, Anna Craven, who is a, obviously a retcon. Uh, and then you also introduce Craven, who, uh, sorry, not Craven, uh, Kane, who's got to be the most 90s ish character. You know, he's got this weird. It looks like a, like if we find out later, it definitely is a costume. But he's got like these weird scars all over his body. And stuff, yeah. These these veins, this weird like pink, pink cowl. cloak. 
cowl, this very long, like only in only in nineties Marvel comics would you have hair like this with a, just like this long flowing brown hair. And at the time, and I, I think I've read interviews about this, they didn't know who Kane was going to be. It was only later that they're like, "Hey, it was a clone." Like I don't think it was actually clear at the time, uh, but it does actually line up because he has like these precog visions, and if you if you buy that he just had this really enhanced spider sense, then right, kind of makes he's sense. He's agile and he's strong. He can't like cling onto walls, and he's lacking some of the power set, but yeah, um, he has a flat clone, so it works. Yeah, it ended up working. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that that storyline was kind of the grim. Now it ended with Kane again being given more and more prominence, and then what does he do at the end? He murders Grim Hunter. This became a theme that they were bringing in Kane to kind of be this new badass, so they would use him to dispatch both bad villains and good villains. Grim Hunter was an example of killing off a villain that had just been introduced like four months earlier, like he was brand new, and then they just flat no, out murdered him. You're good. But you know what? But maybe they maybe they 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 introduced Grim Hunter in uh, Spider Man Fifty, so this literally was just a few months earlier. Maybe the plan always was for this new character to die at the hands of this other new character that needed to be a badass. Because in the nineties, how do you make a badass new character matter? You have him kill someone else. Yeah, true. That was kind of the. You could have him kill an A list Spider Man villain, so have him kill someone. I mean, going back to DC, you bring in Bane, his first appearance. You know, sorry, his first major storyline. He breaks Batman's back. He'll never be as good as that first moment. Doomsday, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Comes in, murders Superman. Nothing will ever top that. Since then, what is it? You've yeah. never done, yeah. Yeah, you know, like it's... that, But that was just of the time. They would bring in these characters to do the one thing. And then, unfortunately, that character's kind of served its purpose. Grim Hunter is kind of one of those characters. Um, and then over in Web of Death, you had one of my favorite 90s characters, Stunner. Do you remember Stunner? Dr. Octop- Octopus's girlfriend? No, you don't remember her. She even appeared in Superior. Um, oh, later on, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she came back, and I, re- I was so happy that Dan Slott remembered that she existed. Well, he's continuity for you, always say, right? Part of it. He's a continuity for you. Oh, he say, loves right? continuity. Like, yeah. No. Wow. No, I remember. Um, oh, from Secret Titania, and who's the other girl? Volcano. Uh, Volcano. There you go. Yeah. No, this is. This is something else entirely. Okay. Now, this storyline I always liked as well. First of all, the artwork by Bagley is, is brilliant. Um, I love the um, the white suit-wearing Dr. Octopus. Probably my favorite version of the character. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, a regalness. There's a nobility to the character that didn't really usually exist. Um, there's just something about the way that they portray it. Part of it's in the writing. Part of it's in the art. Because usually they have him in that weird, stupid green jumpsuit like it's harder to take him seriously. They they make the bowl cut more extravagant. He has the giant glasses. Like it's harder to take him seriously uh, when he looks a bit of a joke. Whereas here he has this you know this elegant white suit. His hair looks normal. His you know his glasses look normal. He's still short. Still got his pot belly in most of the shots. But there's just an elegance and an ability to the character that was lacking, and especially in the storyline because he he. He notices that Spider-Man is obviously sick and dying, and he takes it upon himself to help help him and save his life, because in his own mind, that's just not acceptable, that Spider-Man would die, first of all, at someone else's hand, and that he wouldn't be able to fix it. So he, he wants to be able to prove to himself that he's good enough as a scientist and smart enough to be able to save Spider-Man's life so that he can eventually kill him himself. Like, it's twisted villain logic, but sure. it works for the character because it... 
he's been so at times tormented by Spider-Man and and has latched on to Spider-Man as being kind of his And you his saw that, that reflects in Superior as well. Absolutely. Yeah. They definitely build on that idea. So I again I think I think the the visual goes with how they're writing the character at the time. So absolutely this is my favorite version of Doc Ock. Um because again, he 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 in his own twisted way he cares about Spider Man, as long as he's the one who gets to kill him, you know. And in fact, he does save his, excuse me, he does save his life, and then he prepares himself to go to jail. Basically, and he's like, "I'll get out, and then we'll do this again." And Spider Man's like, "You're crazy." And he's like, "No, this is just this is just our fate in life, um, or at least it would be if not for Kane, who again is on his. So in the same month, he kills Grim Hunter." Uh, he also kills off Dr. Octopus, which is, again, a very big trope of the 90s. Introduce the new villain, make him a big threat by having him dispatch one of the classic villains. You know, oh, I gotta take him seriously if he's gonna off Dr. Octopus, which is a big move for the 90s. I mean, it's interesting because um, I believe the editor-in-chief at this time was Tom DeFalco. And let me just double-check here. It doesn't actually say on the on the credit pages, but I'm pretty sure he was. And... When uh, when the Clone Saga was over, Tom DeFalco started writing Amazing Spider-Man, and one of the first things he did was bring back Doc Ock, because he didn't ever really agree with it as an idea, but it was kind of too late in the process. Right. Reminds me of uh, professional wrestling. Yeah. They're bringing a new guy that they want to make a big deal. Like, you have these poor guys who work their butt off for years and years and years, and never get a sniff mm. at being the champion. And maybe they do, and they're, they're champion for a month, maybe a week. And if they want to bring the next big thing, it comes in gets the belt like nobody's business and runs with it for months and months and months it's good and then after they lose it for the first time they get lost in the shuffle and never heard of it again you yeah know, it's, it's, same it's thing with the very here. similar no that, that's exactly what happens generally um now in part three of the storyline a, a big moment happens yes yeah, spectacular spider-man 220 which is uh sorry it's chapter two and on the cover it's mj not the most attractive version of mj it's a salvasema mj that's and, not pretty at all. No, and she's saying, Tiger, do I have news for you? Um, which, again, is a huge moment because we find out that they're going to have a baby. Actually, is it in this issue or not? Yeah, no, it is. On the last page, it's, uh, Congratulations, Tiger, you hit another jackpot. Uh, you're about to become a father. We're having a baby. Which, again, considering that this should be, like, the sexiest MJ possible, she's just wearing a shirt, no pants, apparently. Not the sexiest version, just because it's Sal Buscema. Does not necessarily do sexy. Clearly not. Um, but it, but it, you know what I like about this storyline? It raises the stakes. So you have a Spider-Man that's dying. He hasn't told MJ. Um, you know, Doc Ock is trying to save his life. Uh, but Peter's not really too happy about that. And then he finds out that they're going to have a baby. And that changes everything. And suddenly he has to take things a lot more seriously. Which is what then allows him to kind of turn to Doc Ock and... And Doc Ock knows that he's Peter now because he's unmasked him during this storyline, which again should have been foreshadowing that Doc Ock has got to die because he knows who Spider-Man is now. Although that club was starting to get bigger in the early 90s. It was not the way it used to be. Right. Um, at the end of the issue, you even have Spider-Man kind of, you know, his astral self where he's having like a hallucination, a dream where he sees Aunt May. Aunt May and then this is important for what would happen later. Um Tells him all about, you know, the second star on the right, straight on till morning from uh, Peter Pan, which would only end up mattering in Amazing Spider-Man 400 where uh, Aunt May ends up dying. It was a really well done storyline. Even though you have Doc Ock uh, getting murdered, it still works. Even, the best part, Doc Ock on Spider-Man, lip action. That's right. 
Serious mouth to mouth going on. Serious mouth to mouth happens. They mix it with stunner. And then he has a mouth to mouth mouth to mouth with stunner, which I don't know which one looks like he's enjoying more. Uh, maybe more on Peter. I don't know. Mm. Something about Spider Man. Um, yeah, and then he gets he gets murdered. Can you go back and see how the tentacles are and usually shots? (laughs) God, Uh, Kane actually cracks his neck that and then gives him the mark of Kane, which again setting up a big thing that was going on at that period. And then you have the funeral for the octo- for an octopus storyline, which I'm not going to touch on right now. No. It was the weirdest version of the Sinister Six you've ever seen, where Hobgoblin got drafted in. The not the best Hobgoblin, the uh, the also ran uh, Jason Philip Mackendale um, Hobgoblin, the one that technically made it into the um, TV show. Although I do like that you have the the, the Octo Spidey, which is only funny now that we've had a you know an Octo- Doctor Octopus as Spider Man, so now you have Spider Man as Doc Ock. Which was actually used in um, the Spider-Man animated series. Yes. Uh, in the last storyline, the last two uh, episodes, they had this version of the, of the character. It's cool. It's a cool visual. I'm pretty sure there was a toy. Yes, there is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, Absolutely. It, I don't know what the goggles are for no, necessarily. Because uh, Doc Ock always had the goggles, so that's... Yeah, that's true. Throwback, but yeah. it's just a really... It's a cool idea. I mean, Spider-Man's good enough, and he's had extra arms, but now having him with the tentacles is a really cool idea. Uh, it's not doesn't go very long but uh no it's very cool and um again i'm, I'm i think the, the the blow 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 i'm only really gonna do up till issue 400 because then i don't want to do this anymore because okay. <laughs> i don't think i have it in me um smoke and mirrors uh is the storyline that kind of leads up to um the, the big episode or issue 400 this is where we get to learn that there's more going on and then maybe that and we find out the jackal's back alive which makes sense that if this character cloned Spider-Man that maybe he had a clone of himself and that maybe he wasn't really dead. There's a lot of stuff that starts to happen. Excuse me. Starts to happen in the storyline though that makes no sense where Spider-Man starts getting like these weird flashes of things that Ben Riley has experienced in his life, like flashes of when he was the cl- excuse me, the clone, which I guess maybe was an idea that Maybe he was the clone himself. Right. But this is also where things start to they, go a little too far. They threw all kinds of loops throughout the whole saga about which one's which. Well, it gets even worse. This is where it really starts to starts to really kind of almost go downhill because you have like a, a jackal, a mini jackal, show up who's actually uh, a young, like a younger, almost diminutive, failed version of Peter Parker. You have a larger version of Peter Parker, very similar to Kane, who's almost bestial. Uh, you have Jackal himself showing up. You have another clone of Gwen Stacy showing up, who then dissolves into nothing. Well, even uh, so much stuff. Very currently, we ha- when when Kane was, uh, I guess the guy with a beard and long hair and wearing a big brown suit, he seemed massive, mm-hmm. right? And then now he's regular now he's... Peter Parker size. I, I I feel like if I wanted a no prize, I could probably explain it away. Because he's had the nutrient bath and he became like. Remember, he was a. Was he Tarantula? Remember, he when he died in Grim Hunt and he was kind of reborn. And then during Spider Island, he was that big creature. And then they kind of were able to regress him back to being like Peter size, I guess. I guess maybe. It, and it fixed him because he no longer had the uh, degenerative uh, issues. Um, so maybe, maybe that's how they get around it. But yeah, I agree because especially uh, in Grim Hunt, they had Kane shave his face. And, he, and then no one noticed that he wasn't Peter. And I'm like, but there's fucking scars all over your face. Like, right. Just because you shave your face doesn't mean your scars go away. Yeah, there's a, they kind of missed the ball, dropped the ball on that. Yeah. That made no sense. 
Um, but yeah, this this smoke and mirror storyline doesn't really make a lot of sense either. But I, st- I still like it. I still like the Jackal. Um, again, the Tom Lyle stuff is probably not the best, his version. Although there are some shots of just like Spider-Man lunging. And I, I can't really adequately describe it. But in this period, there's certain color sh- colors and shading. Like you'd have Spider-Man in this case jumping through the air. And part of his face would end up getting like kind of glossed over, almost like a, a sheen. And it, it was probably a way so they didn't have to put the... All the lines. All yeah. the lines. And they did that a lot, but I loved it. So as a kid, I remember like counting how many times I would see him in an issue. Like it was one of my favorite things. Oh. Yeah, it was really weird. I don't know why I loved it so much, especially when Mark Bagley did it. Uh, Mark Bagley also does one hell of a naked Gwen Stacy Ooh. with uh, strategic smoke. Of course. So when Very you get 90s. out, when you get out of a cloning chamber, there's a lot of steam and smoke inside, <laughs> and just enough to cover your naughty bits. And um, yeah, it's super weird. When when like when is I, maybe I've missed it. I don't know, but there's been tons of recent Jackal lead-up stuff, like him doing stuff in the in, in the background. When is that plan gonna hatch? Uh, I I don't remember anything current. He has done some stuff, um, but th- wasn't he taken out last like last by like Superior and the Scarlet Spider? I, I Didn't they remember. take him out? I, I don't know. I've never seen a lot. I'm I get it. I understand. I remember I, maybe I glossed over it or missed it. But I remember seeing a lot of. Little stuff in the background involving the jackal. Oh yeah. Now I'm 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 trying to go through quicker. I'm in the third trade paperback now of this giant collection, and there's a book that I honestly don't remember ever reading at the time. See, there's a ton of this I didn't read because you know so hard to find some of the comics. And you mm-hmm. had that era where there was no numbering on the issues or anything, and yeah. it had no idea what you were buying. Now, this is the Spider-Man The Clone Journal. Like, I don't even ever hearing of this. And it's really just... Um, it's a source book. Yeah, basically. Yeah. it's a, Well, it's not a source book. It's more of a, a weird reprinting book. Like, it reprints actual panels from from other issues to kind of build up to a certain point. Like, it's got... It, it outright grabs things from Power and Responsibility... From like Scarlet Spider's first appearance, it's just a weird hodgepodge because it's not like it's kind of repurposing these moments and and putting them within a framework. This is all the original art from those original issues, which is makes it this kind of as I said a weird hodgepodge that doesn't quite makes it makes sense because it brings you up to this point, speed, yeah. up to speed. So that's why it is like a, a it's an effective kind of recap. Um, it's just a weird recap to get, I guess, like. Specific, like exact same panels, like right. nothing, things haven't changed. Same pages, um, and then you have this is where again where it starts to really go off the rails because now you have another Spider-Man clone who is not Kane, not Scott Spider, not Peter the Peter Parker we know. It's another one. So I think this is when they start to go a little too hog wild with having too clones. many clones, uh, and plus fucking Squire. Scar makes no sense. I like what they ended up doing with the, uh, the character later, uh, in terms of there it was an international a group of international kind of criminals lo- run by Norman Osborn. I like that idea at the time. That does not exist. That was not a thing. He was a real supernatural character, just like Judas Traveler. Um, now Web of Spider-Man one twenty three. For some reason, I have like four copies of this issue, and I don't know why. I think I got it from like a friend of my babysitters at the time. Or or my my babysitter's um, daughter's husband or something. And he had like a bunch of extra issues of some comics and he gave them to me. 
And uh, I remember, and I read this issue a lot. Well, if you have four of them. I, I might as well keep reading every single one of them, right? And this is, again, Stephen Butler still doing the some really solid artwork. I mean, he's he's not remembered, though. Like, people remember Tom Lyle. People obviously remember Mark Bagley. I don't think a lot of people remember Stephen Butler at all. Um, you have the Planet of the Symbiotes super specials from 1995. I was 12 years old. I was in the hospital. I'd, or actually, I might have been 11. I'd had a concussion. And uh, so I had to be in the hospital for a few days. And I remember my mom got me, I think, part four of this storyline. Or part five, actually. And I don't think it was until I picked up these trades that I read the entire story. Oh, wow. Like, I had no idea what was going on. And again, it was a flip book. Because you had an Amazing Spider-Man story. And then you flipped it. And you got a Scrawn Spider story. Which was cool for the time. And again, it was the planet of the symbiotes. Basically, so many symbiotes taking over, um, over New York and trying to take over the world. Which honestly, you read it now, it's painful. Like it doesn't look good. Um, the it, it's just it's it's egregious. Wow. And the artwork's not good. Enough. Oh, and I just want to bring your attention to this, Paul, because you're in the room with me. Some weird a weird shot of Peter, hey, Peter Parker's toweling himself off. In front of uh, MJ, who's wearing a Hootie and the Blowfish t-shirt. And it's just very, like, yeah, oddly he, he provocative. Yeah, he's showing her some real frontal, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're almost getting some that's ass, crazy. too. Like that's, it's... That's, that's very 90s. Yeah. Quasi nudity. You know, I, I know you're not a big fan of um, Bendis' Guardians run. Yeah. But I have quite liked the... Uh, when Flash Thompson's up there, mm. and he's, you know, on these alien worlds, and everyone knows what a symbiote what it is. is, and all it's all about, and he's like, what, you know, what's, where's it from, what's it all about? I like that tease. I, I, I'm hoping he'll move on with that. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Uh, this, the storyline is, uh, again, also during the pretty, off, like, symbiote overexposure, and you saw that in the storyline. You had five issues of just a lot of symbiotes, you had Carnage again, you had Venom, it was just right. the same beats being done over and over again. Now, this is I, before hybrid, though, right? I believe. So. Yeah. You mean toxin? Toxin. Wait. No, there's hybrid. There is a hybrid, but that's one of the yeah. life and technically, I think uh. hybrid had already been created because he was one of the spinoffs from that led to Carnage and Sh- and uh, Scream's existence. So he already existed, I believe, mm. at this point. Maybe I could be wrong. Probably not. <laughs> Um, it's interesting in this trade, again, they don't include it at this point, but, uh, the flip book with Scott Spider and his own adventure against the, uh, the weird, ver- do you remember the weird, uh, more reptile-like lizard? Kind of. More through cards than actual oh, comics. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, he was in that, that flip book. Then they have Amazing Spider-Man 400, which again is, I think, I think I listed it in one of my top five Spider-Man storylines when we did that mm-hmm, two years ago. It was a long time ago, but... It's 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 one of my favorite issues of Amazing Spider-Man. It's the death of Aunt May. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, the artwork by Mark Bagley mm-hmm. is very is phenomenal. It's so good that you're able to forgive the stupid stupid stuff like Judas Traveler, you know, hunting the spiders and having I don't what I don't remember his name. I think Mister Noct was like the guy who was like watch and have a weird computer. Like basically have a tablet. Actually, he has tablets uh, in 1995. And he's like watching people and like reporting on things for uh, for Judas Traveler. Um, you can kind of forgive that weird, stupid stuff because there's a real sentimental 
emotional core to the issue. In fact, you then have a bunch of pages where there's no text at all. It's just the artwork showing everyone being very broken up over what's going on. And then, of course, at the very end, Spider-Man gets arrested because that's what you need to have happen at the end of a, an emotional issue like that. And actually, in, in the original issue as well, you had the first part of what would become Lost Years Number Zero, which is basically three different uh, stories that John Romita Jr. and J.M. DeMatteis did as backups in the month of stories that were at the same time as Amazing Spider-Man 400. Hmm. Did you know that, Paul? No. Just dropping some knowledge in you today. Uh, one of the chapters was in Spider-Man 57, which I don't know if you remember this issue. It, had, it was one of those two covers. It was die cut. So the, the die cut part was the actual uh, prison bars on the on the prison, and then you had Spider-Man on the other side, so it was kind of cool. You'd open it yeah. up. Very cool. I'll call that one. And uh, this, it's interesting that you this. So the Clone Saga been going on for months, and 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 MJ had not met Ben Riley yet. Isn't that weird? Like they weren't yeah. on the best of terms. You're in trade with three now. I'm in trade three. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they weren't on the best terms at all. In fact, I would say it's not until Amazing Spider-Man 400, more or less, where they finally start to kind of having more of a bond. Because up until then, Spider-Man didn't want anything to do with Ben Riley. He didn't even want to know he existed. And it, right. And it upset him that he existed, and he almost wished he was dead. So um, this was kind of a big move where you have MJ kind of finding out. Also, you have John Amita Jr. is now a, a get, doing guest pencils in this particular issue, which... I don't think he had a lot of time. <laughs> Just an idea. I mean, it's still good, but it's not like his last year's work. His last year's work is is gorgeous. No, this is still pretty clean, though. Oh well, it gets it's getting a little dirtier as you flip pages here, but it's all relative, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you had a spectacular Spider-Man again. Another I remember di- this one. Yeah. Another die-cut cover, which I think makes less sense. Because the one before with the prison bars makes That's sense cool. for the cover, this, this right? Covers. This is just a, <laughs> this is just a red spider for some reason. Um, and uh, Defalco was writing at the time. Basema again was doing all the breakdowns, like just very heavy, heavy pencils. That's all what I always remember about Busema at the time. Oof. Although I think it has less to do with the pencils and maybe a little bit more to do with the inks. By yeah. oh, it's Bill Shinkowitz. Absolutely, it's his fault. I didn't sure. realize that. Do you know who Sh- uh, Shenkovitz? Like, I barely know artists and writers. Do I know Inkers too? Give me a break. Okay, well, he's you, also... You get Nate on the line, you can argue He's Inkers. also a penciler. He's a very famous one. Sure. Uh, no, he, he did a lot of the, the crazy, weird anatomy covers of New Mutants back in the day. Uh, long before Liefeld. Like, he twisted anatomy. Although it was in a better way than Liefeld did. Um, <laughs> but you, now that I realize that that's who was doing the inks, yeah, absolutely. that's why it's so muddy. That's why it's so dark and depressing looking. Um, the, the big thing about the storyline is that, I, and I think this is the chapter where it happens, but uh, or it's around at this point where Ben Riley and Peter Parker end up switching spots because one of them is in prison and Peter Parker needs to be able to uh, to get his uh, innocence. And then also you have the Mark of Cain, five-part storyline. Again, more and more storylines are crossing through all the books. All the books, yeah. You can't just read one chapter because then you're going to get lost. Um, it was very true, and that, that's kind of where I lost my way. I remember keeping on top of things until maybe our maximum clone age, mm. and then losing my way a bit, and then getting back on board when Sensational came out. Yeah, and this this storyline again also almost becomes a farce because like there's a Spider-Man Fifty Eight, which is good artwork by Tom Lyle, but you know you got Peter and you got Scarlet Spider, and now you have this third Spider-Man clone. 
and then they're kind of dealing with that, like trying to figure out who's real and who's the clone, and this new we'll guy thinks he's real. Yeah, well, he would eventually become a Spider Side, right? Yes. And then the real Peter. Now, this is one of my favorite terrible costume Spider Side. Yeah, I know. One of my favorite looks from this period. It's an awesome shot of Spider Man on a rooftop. It's always raining, always raining in the nineties. Uh, he's got the um, the black Spider Man, uh, just the mask and the gloves, gloves. and uh, I guess he's got regular web shooters, but. Yeah, they're regular, uh, but they're, he's kind of wearing them on top of his gloves, and he just looks super badass. And this is one of my favorite. Like, if I could get a piece of original art by Tom Lyle, this would be the page I would want. Wow. Uh, I don't need it colored, but if it's colored, if it was a finished page, even better. But like, it's just something about this one page. Like, I just always go back to it. I don't know why. <laughs> just, I love Spider Man in the rain. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm thinking of like four different. Spider-Man in the Rain shots that I love. One by John Reader Jr., one by John Reader Sr., one by Tom Lyle. Like, I just huh. love Spider-Man in the Rain. All right. And there's something about the black costume part, too. The fact that it was That's just... a nice touch. It was a very nice touch, you know. And again, it set him apart from the other characters. And it, it was a very cool look. But the storyline itself meanders. You have Kane freaking out. He's kidnapped MJ. You have the three different Spider-Men trying to find them. Um, then you have the... Spider clone, the, this third Spider clone, basically kind of going a little bit sh- crazy, batshit crazy, and becoming uh, man, yeah, Sinkovich is really ruining the artwork and spectacular. Um, he's you know become Spider Side basically, fucked up. Oh, look at this! <laughs> What's w- going? I on I wish there? our listeners could see. But, oh uh, man! Yeah, again, it's more the inker. It's definitely not the pencils. That, yeah, well, nothing's even that. No, it's not that chunk there. So at this end of the storyline, as I said. Ben Riley switches places with the Peter Parker, so now Peter Parker can try to find out why he's being wanted for murder, uh, which eventually will tie into Kane. Uh, then you have Spider-Man Unlimited, which is just another another issue of the Sinister Six going up against Kane, which would become a, a common theme. Uh, thoughts? Man, what a roller coaster! This whole uh, well, saga because there's some great stuff in here, but also some garbage. Yeah, but what can you expect over two years worth of content, right? Like, there's this can't all be good, right? Like, you got to pick and choose. It's like it's yeah, like, but you want a consistent level of quality. Like, yeah, but no, you have four books. Yeah, right. That's and the all, problem. And, and it's not like one guy's even doing two of them. It's all four separate writers, all having their own kind of vision and rolling with different things and then having to crisscross with crossovers to keep the the marketing going so people have to buy all the books and mm-hmm. it, i'm sure it was a very very complicated process editorially just Absolutely. to get things figured out and then working in any level of synergy and get them well, done on time and the thing that always remembers too because people wonder why it kept going on so long and the simple reason is and this is this is true you can read a lot of interview, interviews about it sales were going up people were buying more People were liking the storyline. Like, as much as we can say now that it went on too long, uh, why wouldn't they have kept it going? It was it was selling it's the cockades. Yeah. People, and, and you know, people, it's it's really too bad that Ben Riley had to be the sacrificial lamb. They had to end the storyline. They had to do it conclusively. There could be no questions, so that's why they eventually killed off the character. And then they had the kind of a moratorium that no one was allowed in. in no one in comics would ever mention Ben Riley or that he even existed once in a while you get some vague references or something like that but they just they wouldn't talk about them the clone saga wasn't mentioned for like a decade because they they were just so afraid of it It, because i mean it was such a big popular thing and then it just went south 
And a lot of it's because of marketing, because marketing was starting to run Marvel, and marketing said, hey, that Age of Apocalypse thing, that was great. Why don't you do the same thing with Spider-Man? Didn't work out. It was not a good idea. They did it anyway because marketing told them to. Um, Spider The Clone Saga was supposed to end early, before Onslaught uh, happened, but there was like, um, we have this crossover happening. I, we want to use Spider-Man. Just I, don't don't end it. Or I'm glad I didn't because I love the Spider-Man onslaught stuff. Well, I know, but uh, it was supposed to have been over. But they're like, we don't want you. We want you to bring back Peter Parker's the true Spider-Man, but we don't want it to eclipse this big X event we have. Mm, sure. So it has to come after. So there was always something. And um, one of my, I mentioned this on my preamble to the show, but uh, the one of the fans of the Clone Saga, you have to read the Life of Riley archives. Uh, which is a guy doing a recap of every issue of the of the run, and then you have Glenn Greenberg, one of the assistant editors at the time, doing um, kind of a, a commentary about what was really happening behind the scenes to kind of explain why things were going a certain way, and it is fascinating. And he says that uh, Dan Jurgens, who's uh, did the first issue of Sensational Spider-Man and helped design the costume, I think. Um, he had said like like his plan was like I, I can't write this character I want to write Spider Man I want to write Peter Parker so the, almost the same month or week that they released Sensational Spider Man Zero they were already working on plans to get rid of Ben Riley wow like he had, like it wasn't even like he'd been Spider Man for a while and then they thought of it they were already actively working to remove him as Spider Man by the time he actually became Spider Man that's how in disarray the Spider Man office was at that time and how the, the whole thing was a mess wow. Which is crazy. Like, why would you even bother? Well, y- that being said, think about nowadays. You set up a, a new status quo and then it's thrown away in like four months. So quickly, right? And and you knew when when you know Doc Ock became superior, that was going to be short term too. Mm-hmm. You know, it you, went on longer than anyone would really expected. 20, well, 30, 25, 35? I, I guess a year, right? Because it was double shipping most of the time, yeah. or maybe a little bit more than that. But yeah, that's not really a surprise. But like. I would have been okay if that kept going. It was so enjoyable. Um, I, I think I'm going to stop with the issue by issue. I'm going to have to stop myself. Maybe someday in the future we'll we'll talk about more of the specifics. Um, the storyline had some other notable uh, moments. You had the first appearance of the Phil Uric Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he looks completely different here than he would look in his own book. Uh, well, not completely different, but like just nowhere near as good. Because <laughs> he looked really cool in his own book. And if you read this, like this is... It almost feels like a different character. Looks pretty sinister. He was more heroic, this Green Goblin, wasn't he? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was supposed to be more of a hero. Um, but yeah, he doesn't necessarily look that way here. I'm trying to find uh, shots of the Green Goblin because he's not utilized a lot. Like he looks a little bit more heroic in the Web of Spider-Man 125, but yeah, he still looks more villainous though. And again, we're still a goblin, right? Yeah. I, maybe they just don't have as good a take on the character as, sh- as McDaniel. Because Scott McDaniel was like amazing on the character, but here, not so much. Uh, Judas Traveler was a character who ended up basically... He's in and out to the whole saga, right? He ended up just being a mutant with some psychic powers, and that was it. Like yeah. it, It's kind of sad that that's where they went with the character. Like He really wasn't anything, but they made him seem like he was this, this super powerful character. But I'm glad that they ended up making it that he wasn't, because... I don't think that fits for Spider-Man. Spider-Man's no. street level. Except for, you know, when there's something like Morlun and, and his family and they're, he teams up with everyone in the Spider-Verse. Like, that's... Uh, 
Hey, there's a Ben Reilly Spider-Man back in books right now. So yeah, they play them in an interesting way. They have them be almost painfully optimistic, which is funny that they have him basically be this idea that he's this character where he knows that kind of things will turn out right. That if he tries really hard, things will work out in his favor. Like that's basically their their take on the character, which is interesting because he's from a period in the '90s where nothing ever went right ever. But he's a super optimistic version of the character, which I do like. They, but they almost play him as a naive. Like, he's almost just kind of trusts that things will go right because they have already. Uh, which I, I don't think is really accurate to any version of Spider-Man ever. Because isn't he always paranoid that things are going to go wrong? The old Parker Luck? Absolutely. I guess... Yeah, he's this, a Riley, so okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think other things. Are, Maximum Clonage is probably the biggest down point in the storyline, would you say? Yeah, that's where I kind of stopped for a bit. Because it was just it was just the mess. Yeah. It was just too many clones. I think that's the big yeah. problem. Uh, I did like Scarlet Spider being on the New Warriors, even though the New Warriors issues that are in these collections are terrible. They are. Um, but I like the idea that he was on a team, because, again, at the time, Spider-Man wasn't on a team. They've never been a team guy. I mean, Maybe some Fantastic Four stuff. But yeah, he, he had been like... He had some team ups with them. He was on the the, the new FF with uh, Hulk and, Hulk and Wolverine, uh, Wolverine and Ghost Rider. Yeah, he was a reserve member of the Avengers. But this was actually him as part of a team, or a version of Peter Parker as part of a team. Right. Which again nowadays doesn't seem like a big deal because he's on like a bunch of teams. He was on the Future Foundation. Um, you know, after Johnny Storm died, he's on the Avengers. Like we're not unu- we're not unused to seeing him as part of these teams. He's even going to the Teen Grey School, we'll yeah, he's gonna be a teacher, right? right? Yeah. Like it's all this stuff, and actually, um, the the Kane version of Scott Spider ended up also becoming a member of the New Warriors. Yeah, that's a nice kind of which throwback. Is a nice little yeah. continuity for those who care or remember it. Yeah. Although that book is now canceled, so oh well. It had twelve issues. That's more than I would. So what have? Well, I guess Spider Verse will tell what happens that the Kane Scott with Spider. Kane. Yeah, yeah, he's a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, actually, they're, I like that they're playing up. Kane's role in Spider Verse, but you know, because he is a because cl- he's the other, not just his, you know, he's a clone, but in the course of his own book, he became the other, which the other always had a relation and importance to Morlun. So I, it's the one saving grace of actually having him be the other. Otherwise, I don't think I'd care. Hmm. Um, I'm just tired of Morlun. I just don't like the character. He's boring. He's yeah, just an he's energy a, vampire. He's basically yeah. Exodus for Spider Man. Like that's. Yeah, yeah. You know, and now he's got a family that's the same. Like boring. And I'm, I'm sorry, you're bored. I haven't well, I haven't dug my teeth into it very much yet. But one thing I will say about uh, the Morlan and his family that bugs me a little is that they're all dressed like him. Do you remember why Morlan is dressed that way? Because like Morlan wasn't always dressed. He stole clothes to get that look. That wasn't just something he came up with on his own. When he was on his way to get Spider Man, that's just what he could find. But now his whole family is dressed that way. So oh. they're kind of making it more like that's their thing, not that this is what they happen to be doing. Because that was what was convenient. It's such a stupid nitpick, but it's still a nitpick. Okay. It's still weird. Oh, his entire family looks the same as he does. Um, yeah, Maximum Clonage was... Yeah, but that's like... Look at the Bat family. Look at any, 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 <sighs> any kind of pocket... You know, all the super people are the same... All these spider characters have yeah. similarities. It's just the way it is. I guess so. It's pretty common. There was um, a, a new hero click set that came out. It was it was it was just called the Flash. And I was saying like the the dials were really good, but they all had a, a, a sense of sameness. 
because every speedster is kind of the same. True. Like they they were able to give them some differences to give them more personality in terms of how they played, but at the end of the day, they all kind of ran, hit, and ran away. Right. Just like every other speedster. So it was cool, but also like a lot of the same type of things. Um, Maximum Cloners also had one of the worst appearances of the Punisher of the period. Like, didn't make any sense whatsoever. I, I get he has a, a problem with the Jackal, but like, Jesus Christ, like, it was not a good period for. And Spider Side. Spider Side. Why does he have lips on that mask? He he just does, man. He just does. You just gotta believe it. Um, this storyline is also where you found out that uh, Kane was actually the failed clone of Peter Parker. Which is a big deal, because then now, finally, the character has an actual purpose. Right. Because until then, he was just kind of this weird weird, cipher. Like, I I think you got ideas and kind of glimpses, but you didn't really know exactly why or how. Maximum Clonage also kills off the Jackal, although, sadly, that would not be the last time we'd ever see him. Because we we continue to see him again and again. And then, at the end of that storyline, that's where they should have ended everything. Because it's a nice kind of denouement. Instead, where do you go from that storyline? You have... A whole storyline about, um, uh, well, first of all, you have that's when Scott Spider actually technically joins the New Warriors. But then you have a whole storyline about Spider-Man, uh, uh, them both struggling with what to do next. Whereas they could have just ended it right in the maximum clonage and not had to do anything else about it. Right. But they always went with the, the harder direction. If you had the Alpha and the Omega, you could have just, that could have been the, the, the finishing storyline. Instead, you got this exiled storyline where Sp- Scott Spider is about to leave and then decides not to. Oh, like, yeah, I have that. You know, and and also, you introduce Lady Octopus or at the time Doctor Octopus too. Do you like the character, Carolyn Trainer? The and we haven't even mentioned Seward Trainer, the cipher of a character <laughs> who is this kindly old man who takes in Ben Riley yeah. ends up being. There's portions here where he's actually wearing like he looks like a superhero in like a superhero suit. Which doesn't make any sense. He's a scientist who creates, works on clones. That's it. Right, exactly. That's that's when they start really start digging into Ben versus Peter, who's real, who's not, and they start flipping back and forth like twenty times as the mm-hmm. serious saga rolls on. And so, super. It, it got to a point where it's like, okay, guys, make up your mind. Like, kind of, yeah. Too many twists, right? Absolutely. Too many twists. And uh, and again, this this guy Seward ends up being the the dad of the new Lady Octopus or Doctor Octopus who. Um, she's kind of sticking up for, you know, Dr. Octopus now that he's dead. Um, and that leads into, uh, well, one of the worst storylines of the period, besides Maximum clon- uh, Clonage. Do you remember Time Bomb? Show me a cover. Uh, I'll show you a cover to issue, uh, I'm trying to find the cover. Apparently I'm having a lot of difficult, uh, difficulty. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man yeah. 228 is part one, which is terrible. Again, the, it's the inks, man. They're by uh, Blusinkiewicz. He's what's ruining the artwork here. His inks really are sick. so heavy. Yeah. And it's all about Spider-Man has a pre... Um, basically, again, looking at the idea, at this point we know that Peter's the clone, Ben's real. So the idea is that the Jackal put a post-hypnotic um, kind of uh, suggestion in Spider-Man's head, and he's going to marry Murder Jane. So Spider-Man's begging the new warriors and Scarlet Spider to stop him, because he doesn't want to kill Mary Jane, but he's about to. Um, which, again, very dark, kind of cool. But it leads into Spider-Man kind of, like, I think he backhands his wife. And I'm, I'm just like, really? Like, is that necessary? Like, he, he really hits her hard. Um, do you remember this? Kind of. It was a big deal. Because Spider-Man hit his wife. 
You know, when, when Hank Pym did it, uh, it, it became a defining aspect of the character for years. Actually, maybe it wasn't in this issue. I might be wrong. I think it might be an issue. Sorry, I take it back. It is when he finds out he's the real deal. Sorry, that he isn't the real deal. And he's freaking out that he's a clone. Then he hits his wife. Oh, okay. Not on purpose. So he says. He's just flailing, right? Okay. He was just flailing. And again, if you have the trades of this, you have some sweet issues of New Warriors to uh, read as you're going through this. Which are so terrible. I'm glad I wasn't reading it at the time. Like, I, I read it now because I wanted to read the entire thing, but it was not good. Uh, in October of, I guess, 2005, sorry, 1995, so it's been a full year, you got um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 406 br uh, bringing in the greatest responsibility. Now, virtual reality at the time was so much fun because Which no one had an idea. Big deal, yeah. No one had any idea how it worked, so you just had, like, VR constructs coming to life and, like, holograms coming to life and people being inside computers and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Very Tron. Very Tron. Actually, that's a very good yeah. uh, good comment to make. Um, the whole point of the storyline is that you end up having Peter deciding that he's got to take off and uh, for his family, um, take care of, of MJ, make sure nothing happens to their baby and gives the uh, Spider-Man costume to uh, uh, Ben Riley. And Ben Riley's like, I'm going to make him proud. And he walks off. So what happens next? He's Spider-Man, right? Nope. Two months of Ben Riley running around as Grand Spider still. Just so stupid. Why? Um, because of the way they set it up. Not like Him being Scarlet Spider is fine. The fact is, the storyline, the end is, here's the Spider-Man costume. You can be Spidey. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to Portland. I'm taking off. Like This is the moment to make him Spider-Man. So why do we have two more months of him being Scarlet Spider? This was the moment for him to make the decision. Well, not to even more build up, but he still had to maybe earn it more to himself. Earn it more? I don't know. I I feel like it feels very hollow whenever I, whenever I read those issues. Like the the Scarlet Spider issues are so poor. Like. Suddenly, he's working at like. Should a, I get right here? Well, actually, so we're looking at, at the moment uh, the complete Ben Riley epic volume one, uh, which actually starts with nothing about Ben Riley at all. It starts off with the uh, Spider-Man the Parker Years one shot, which I loved as a kid, uh, which is basically a clip show. I mean, this is a comic book clip show. Um, it's written by Evan Skolnick, who I think was writing New Warriors at the time, artwork by Joe Saint Pierre, and it's basically just. Him looking at photographs before they leave to uh, go to Portland, and you get kind of um, a smattering of Spider-Man's history telling us all about different things. It's really shameless in terms of just being a clip show, but as a kid, I freaking loved it, because I didn't know anything about this. Like, seeing Hydra Man's origin, learning more about Venom, um, all the different symbiotes, um, you know, things about the Sin Eater and Daredevil, and huh. I had no idea. This yeah, was, no, this was, this was like a history lesson for me. And I'm pretty sure, and I don't know if they have it in the trade, but I'm pretty sure originally there was actually a, um, a page at the end, which was a, a guide to, actually there it is, that everything that happened huh. tells you what issues it happened in. Huh. So this That's was, really handy. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's a nice little, again, um, history of the character and different things that he's done, and it tells you where to find them. So if you actually want to read some of these stories, you can go back and be like, 
When did Spider-Man punch Hulk in the orbit? I want to find out where that was. Very cool. And then they decide to uh, take off for Portland. Um, I'm trying to find the actual Scott Splatter issues. But uh, why don't you say some stuff. I've talked a lot and my voice is getting hoarse. <laughs> okay, yes, I have this stuff too. Okay. So you have Scott Spider on Yeah, I've, Yeah, because I wanted to get... Like, again, being on that sort of Scarlet Spider. And, and because I had missed a bunch of books and kind of stopped, and getting it back in, I, this to me, I know I didn't know all the other content existed, so this mm. to me just made sense to build up to Sensational. Gotcha. So now, there was no... Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one has got to be the weirdest retcon of retcon of a retcon. And what I mean by that is, originally, Dr. Miles Warren, the Jackal, created a clone of Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man. Right? Yeah. We all know that? Okay. Then in a storyline called The Evolutionary War, he had the High Evolutionary, and they actually showed that, in fact, he had never cloned anyone. No one had the cloning ability yet. High Evolutionary maybe could, but this other high... He was just a university professor of biology. He had no ability to clone anyone. In fact, what he had done is he had taken a woman, in terms of the Gwen Stacy clone that was running around out there, who was still alive. It was actually a woman named Joyce Delaney who was given basically um, like an injection of I don't know, Gwen Stacy's DNA or something and brainwashed to believe that she was Gwen. Oh. Yes. So that was the retcon to show that there was no such thing as a clone. This storyline in Scott Spider Unlimited retcons the retcon of the original character and then makes it clear that, in fact, it is a real Gwen Stacy clone and it was never Joyce Delaney at all. And that previous story was incorrect. But it has to explain how High Evolutionary was wrong. So we get this, the most convoluted story ever. To And the only purpose of this story is to show that there are clones in this world. High Evolutionary was wrong. And that this previous story doesn't have to exist. Now, well, I, I don't remember any of that, but okay. I, I, at least, wow. I at least appreciate that someone used to care about continuity enough that they would go to this such extreme lengths to disprove a record. And the eliminated are double-sized issues normally, right? Exactly. More expensive, yeah. Wow. Whereas these days, they would just pretend it never happened. But oh, they, back in yeah. the day, they were like, no, no, someone knows that this happened. We have to explain it. Our fans are writing us. We have to make a change. Right. Which, I, again, from a continuity perspective, I love that. But also at the same time, from a re- reader's perspective, it's a nightmare because who cares? Anyways, then you have um, the whole, as I said, the, the four books with Web of Spider-Man running for two issues, and then they wanted to cancel the books, and then have Spider-Man, uh, Ben Riley become Spider-Man. Right. But marketing wouldn't let it go. They wanted two more issues of Web of Scarlet Spider, so they got them, and now they had like, um, what was he? He was basically like a, like an android almost becoming Scarlet Spider for two issues for no reason do you remember this android becoming Scarlet Spider he's not maybe not an android like maybe a simu lacry or whatever but so th- for this cover yes which I love gorgeous web of Scarlet Spider number, number one yes I have this one here with the cloudy background let's say okay I also have a version of it that this is all just yellow okay but like I I I think I always I had the yellow one first and got this other one afterwards. So okay. is it, I guess the variant or something. I think so. I mean, the one that's here is the new standard, standard edition. So maybe it was different. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Once again, Stephen Butler is doing a cover that you love with uh, Scott Spider. He has a way with the character. 
He absolutely does. Now, in this month, you had all different artists. Like, this is not the greatest artist you've ever seen. It's by uh, a guy named Paris Karunos. Never heard of this guy. So you basically had fill-in artists. Like, they didn't have anyone to do this stuff. Um, Peter, uh, sorry, Ben Riley was a waiter. Like, there was no sense of what the character was going to end up doing. Um, even Mark Bagley, who was doing this stuff in the in the uh, Amazing Scarlet Spider, it was kind of subpar for him. Like, it was just a really big mess of a storyline uh, because they needed to keep the book going and not because anyone actually wanted it to keep going. Right. And especially because they knew where they were going, they were going to make Peter Parker Spider-Man, and now they had to just shove out these two other months of books that unfortunately ended up being extremely forgetful, forgettable. Sorry. Yeah, I remember I got these, and I wasn't kind of ho-hum on the stories, but... Although at least Green Goblin had a crossover during this period. And that was Yes, I didn't have that issue, and I, I hated missing it. Do you have it now? Well, in the collected... Oh, do you dishes. have the trade of Green yeah, Goblin? Yeah. Okay, good. No, that's well, well, this here, right? Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah. Do you also have the Green Goblin trade? No. It's worth, it's worth picking up. Do you have this New Warriors issue? No. It was the return of Niels the Cat. The Bouncing Cat. Stupid. Sorry, I apologize for the language, but it just this period was. And again, Gunslinger, Spider Number Two, were from Web Swinger to Gunslinger. That was terrible. Cyber War. Someone doesn't understand what Spider Man's about at all. Yeah. Um. Some forget it even happened. Um. What? And then we have um the idea that you know finally Spider Man's going to be, you know. Spider-Man again. Ben Riley's going to be Spider-Man. It's interesting that Sensational Spider-Man number zero, the beginning of an old new era, is the last issue of the first trade of the Ben Riley epic. And really the only one worth reading. Besides the Peter Parker send-off that begins the, the volume. I guess. Sensational Spider-Man issue. number zero is fantastic. Fantastic issue. I really enjoyed it. And I think yeah. I've told you this before, but I remember at the time it came out, you have the right cover it. with the... Changing, uh, I do have that, yeah, with the changing hologram. But I remember I uh, I didn't pick it up when it first came out, but I think a week or two later, it was still on the stands. Now, I had a bunch of issues of Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which I really liked. It was a dollar book, though. It wasn't very expensive. Anyways, some jerk at my school broke into my locker and stole some of my comics. Get out. Yeah. Of which the Untold Tales of Spider-Man were a bunch of them. And there was, I, I think I had issues like one to four or something. Oh. And my mom felt really bad. And she was like, I'll buy you the comic. I'll, I'll I'll, we'll go to the Silver Snail that's near our house. And we'll buy you these comics. And then I see Sensational Spider-Man number zero. I'm like, I want that. So I don't I don't rebuy those dollar issues of Untold Tales of Spider-Man. Right. I, instead, I get this expensive Sensational Spider-Man. I think I just got the one. So I basically traded four for one. And I never regretted it. Well, maybe a little, because I love uh, Until Tales of Spider-Man. But this is such a fantastic issue. Um, it's a lot of fun. You have the new costume for Spider-Man. You yeah, have the X look. And all kind there's of a great pay, yeah. a montage page of Peter, uh, sorry, Ben Riley thinking about all the different versions of costumes he could take. It's very close to Kane's Spider costume, eh? Or even um, Superior. I mean, yeah? the large spider on his chest. Uh, there's some weird, like there's one that's very similar to Spider Boy, which they don't go with. One with a cape. One that looks very much like an X Men costume at the time, with mm. the kind of the blue with the the yellow or I guess gold straps and boots. Pretty much Cyclops meets Spider Man. Exactly. Or have, Cable kind of else, yeah. Oh, very much so. And then you have one that's more like uh, Thor at the time that looks like it has Asgardian armor on it. I, I just love that page. And then you have him deciding, like building this new Spider Man costume, and then. 
he goes out and fights in it. And I love the look of the costume. Um, <coughs> half boot. I don't care. Half boots, half mm-hmm. gloves. Like the gloves, uh, you have a few of the few of the gloves. The fingers that the have fingers, the fingers and don't. Yep. Exactly. Like there's just something. Kept the web shooters intact from the uh, Scarlet Spider costume. Yep. Plus he dyes his hair blonde. And, yeah, changes look. And again, what I liked about it is that there's a very good reason in store for them to do that. It's just the idea that he, at the time he was going through a rough period, didn't have a job because of all the shit that went down in his um, in his other book, uh, in the Scott Spider book. So he gets a new job here, working for the Daily Grind. They set up a new status quo. They set up new characters for him to interact with that aren't traditional supporting cast. Um, and the idea that he runs into Anna Watson when he's at uh, his and uncle's graves and she thinks he's peter so he has to kind of pretend that he is and he's like i can't keep doing this people know who peter parker is mm-hmm. i have to look different so he cleans himself up and then he gets his hair cut and short uh sorry cut and colored and uh then that's the, the kind of the iconic ben riley look um and then he finally he's although it's kind of a it's a different take here then they would kind of refine that version of the character later but um yeah, it's a really strong issue. I think it holds up. No, it's a, it's a fantastic issue. I remember when I got these uh, new traits to, to reread it. And again, it's in the same pile, that issue, as my other early Scarlet Spider books. That's uh, one of the ones I frequently look through mm-hmm. over and over. Now, we've actually gone through six volumes already. I'm not going to make us go through the last five completely. Okay. What because time are we at now? We're at one in the morning. Oh, it's God. no longer it's no longer I my birthday now. Um, okay. final I guess let's say final thoughts because let, do you want to talk? How about let's talk about the ending? Because there's a lot. So oh, the ending. Peter yeah. Ben Riley's Spider Man again. Actually, there's one thing I'd like to talk about before I go to the ending, and that is um, again at the time I wasn't really reading a lot of Spider Man. I was picking it up, starting to, and starting. To, I was reading a friend's copies, but I remember getting Amazing Spider-Man 407, and I freaking love this issue. Um, it's written by Tom DeFalco, artwork by Mark Bagley. You have Silver Sable, you have Sandman. I knew Silver Sable because I'd read some issues of Marvel Tales the previous year. Sandman I didn't know much about. He wasn't on the animated series. One of the few villains not to show up. Actually, really the only major villain to not show up. Yeah, Hydra Man instead. Yeah, and do you remember why? Do you remember why they couldn't use Sandman? No. Uh, they couldn't use him because he was supposed to be used in one of the drafts of Jim Cameron's version of Spider-Man the movie that he was working on at the time. Oh. James Cameron was supposed to make the movie, so that's one of the reasons that they say that they didn't that they weren't really going to work on an origin. Because hmm. if you look at the animated series, there was no origin to Spider-Man. First episode was the lizard, and they just kind of went forward. Future future episodes would kind of give you an idea of what happened. Right. Uh, but technically, there was no origin that started the series uh and the treatment by james cameron was supposed to use electro and sandman so they were not allowed to use those characters now that fell through so by the very end they were able to use a version of electro which is not like any other version because he was what the son of red skull or i can't remember the exact relation but he showed up on this on the tv show completely different version of the character but at least but you don't remember that is the last chapter of Six Forgotten Warriors in season five of Spider Man. Wow. No. Blew your mind. It just happened. But yeah, we got we got the poor man's version of Sandman. We got Hydra Man, which to be honest probably makes more sense. Yeah. There's more water than sand in right. New York. And off topic, like I'm like we can cover here the Sinister Six. Yes. And like his face melting like <laughs> water. It's terrible. Yeah. 
not good. But this particular issue, this Amazing Spider-Man 407, will always have a special place for me because I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, you had the new version of Mysterio was in it. Yeah, I remember liking the, the mist look. I thought it was pretty cool. That part might be cool, but look at the costume itself and how many straps are there? Ah, whatever. It was it was fine. The, uh, what's the first uh, storyline with the winter? The Media Blizzard. Yeah, that was a pretty cool storyline. Uh, I, I was okay with it. I remember liking it when it, when it was... Maybe yeah. going back to it, I mean, it hold up. But I remember when, you know, after Sensational Zero, I, I was all over the, the books again. Mm. And uh, I remember enjoying Media Blizzard. What I like about this issue is also is it looks like Bagley was able to spend a little bit more time than normal. Maybe because he, had, he wasn't doing a, as, as good work on Scarlet Spider at the time. Uh, but his version of the Spider-Man costume that we got for Ben Riley is fantastic. Like, probably the best. He's got it on, yeah. You sure. know, like, and I, honestly, I would be okay if they used this and ditched the, the classic red and blues, to be honest. Like, this is, I love this costume. It, it still looks like Spider-Man. Like, it's not that different. It's stylistically, it's got a few things that are different. Obviously, it's got the half boot and... I don't, which I don't think you need necessarily. You could have a full boot, and I don't sure. think it change it that much. Same thing with the gloves. I just like the spider emblem on the chest. It's a nice big emblem, and he had it on the back as well. A very cool look, uh, and a different look, and it sets the character aside. So we're gonna skip through. We're not gonna talk about the next three volumes, which end up becoming more and more convoluted because again, you clean the decks. Now Ben Riley's Spider Man. Peter Parker's gone. He has his final adventure. Loses his powers. He's gonna have a baby. They're done. But they can't leave well enough alone because now they need to bring him back. So they have to bring back a powerless Peter and they have like the Blood Brothers storyline. You have this new Gaunt character, the, the big mystery of who is this character. Uh, sewer Trainer's working with him. There's something they're working on together. Like it was just, it. this is where people really started to lose interest because it was just like, there was no end in sight. What are you just, doing? Yeah. You thought that they were done and they were going to just move forward in the new status quo, but they couldn't. They had to start going backwards. And that's where really people got frustrated and pissed off because they were done. They were, they were ready to just start enjoying Spider-Man again and not worry about this big mystery, this big thing going on. So that leads us to Revelations. What do you want to say about Revelations? Very rushed Romita art. I remember being a little, you think a so? little mushiness um, by Romita. I disagree. I think it's great Romita art. Um, depending on what we're talking about. Um, so Revelations was a four-part arc, first of all. Uh, the basic idea is that, well, let's really, the last chapter is what matters. Spider-Man 75, uh, Howard Mackey, who's the least continuity-inclined uh, writer at the time, um, and then John Romita Jr. on artwork. And uh, it's it's the big kind of climax to everything. The idea is that uh, Mary Jane's going into labor, Peter Parker's trying to, trying to find her, he gets drugged and finds out that uh, he's actually at the mercy of Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn is back from the dead, which at the time was a lot more radical than it seems now because he had been dead for about 25 years. Um, he's back alive. He's back to torment Peter. Um, it's really him. He's got a giant scar in the middle of his chest with a glider impaled him. Uh, all of Spider-Man's uh, supporting cast is, you know, hostage in, in the bugle. Um, and again, something may or may not have happened to the baby. Um, who's, I guess, already been stolen by Alison Mungrane. So there's a lot of high stakes here. Uh, ben Riley gets his kind of last hurrah, which is not much of a hurrah. No, not really. He kind of just gets dispatched off, mostly off-panel. 
Uh, but it's really about showing that Peter Parker is the true Spider-Man. He gets the lot, the big confrontation with um, with Norman Osborn, and Ben Riley doesn't. And Ben Riley's given a bit of a short shrift, unfortunately. No, but so much has happened here with Ben. Like he he had his time. He did. Now I don't know if this is what you maybe we were thinking of, Paul. But there are pages that are included here. With not these were not in the original newsstand edition. Um, I didn't know that. Um, so these are really scratchy pages. They had they commissioned them for the trade paperback at the time. So there's shots where uh, Ben Riley kind of wakes up and uh, is trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a flashback to him going up against Norman Osborn in the previous issue. This was not in the original comic. Oh. So it's very scratchy. Like, it's not very well defined. Oh, I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how you can kind of tell it's, it is from a different... He did it afterwards. And it was very rushed. Because then you go from that to a lot clearer artwork right afterwards like the colors aren't quite right the inks aren't right so maybe if that's what you were referring to partially it's not necessarily Romita's fault no you just don't want to give him the give him uh, no give him... I didn't uh... no but there again is a lot of cool stuff here although it's, it's also very inconclusive you bring back Green Goblin and then it looks like he dies but maybe not and there's just a lot of smoke and then uh... he's gone yeah. And then you have Ben Riley. He he gets impaled on a goblin glider, dropped off a building, into a car. and busts into a car, and then yeah. then he has mush face. But to be fair, you would. If you just <laughs> fell from the top of a, like a, a, a very tall building in New you York You would have City, Bermuda mush face. After getting um, impaled in the chest, you might have a mushy face. I think he'd let... And then he, he, he dissolves because they needed him to be gone. The yeah. They needed there to be no, bot, no body... They needed it so no they could come never back. come back. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame because everyone always wishes he would come back. Now, it's interesting because in the trade, again, the last page was this. I'm showing it to Paul. That doesn't help anyone else. No. But then there's like multiple pages which were all added in after the fact. They didn't even exist. Because originally it was just kind of ended with them being able to face tomorrow. And then in the trade, they realized that, that there was no mourning of Ben Riley. So then there's I pages. So there's pages added to show the mourning of Ben Riley, of Jimmy Six coming to mourn him, uh, you know, all all these friends and family of Peter, and then Spider-Man actually going to the Brooklyn Bridge and spreading his, you know, his dust ashes. This does not exist in the original issue. I did not. Uh, yeah. Also, it shows the Green Goblin surviving and then, you know, killing some maintenance workers at the Beagle and, and disappearing. Also, did not exist. This was all new material for the trade paperback when it came out. Oh, I did not know that. So, which is, you know, it changes things. Because it, it adds a sense of closure it, that the original didn't have. The original didn't have a sense of closure. No, it didn't. At all. It didn't. It you're, just, he's you're dead. Exactly. I remember that. And I go, oh. Not only is okay. he dead, you go to the next issue of uh, yeah, Spider-Man. I was, when this, when this came out, I remember buying this. And I go, okay, so this Peter's. This is Spectacular 241. Yeah. So Peter's back. They're going to address what happened before and none of it like oh they, they and brief, I was pretty pissed off about that the most they do is there's a shot of Peter and MJ uh, at, at home and they're kind of he's kind of grabbing her from behind and then uh, she just says Peter it's time to put it behind us and he's like I know and that's kind of it they're like can we move but like there's no real discussion about what's gone on yeah just that there's there's memories they're ghosts but they're not really talking about Ben because Ben, at this point, had become his brother. Like, they were extremely close. 
Uh, they were it wasn't the you know the very tense fraught relationship they had previously, right. but they just swept it under the rug like it didn't exist. I know they had two years worth of material. It's like all right. Yeah, so not only that, but also the baby. About... The baby died. Like, but they didn't want Peter Parker. They wanted this new era, and th- this is the only time they were even a little bit maudlin. And then from here onwards, they just went, "No, we're just gonna do fun, happier stories with Spider-Man now, more or less." Which, happy. which is fine, but you still can't disrespect what. Oh, you happened. you can, and they did. Oh. Um, last two things I want to mention, and then sure. I promise we'll be done. Um, Spider-Man The Osborne Journal I remember this coming out This was February 97 I seen this before I was starting to buy comics at Silver Snail at this time So an actual comic book shop And this was one of my favorite issues for a long time And it's uh, actually written by Glenn Greenberg Who is that editor who does that Life of Riley archives And it's basically connecting all the dots That explains how Norman Osborn came back to life How he was involved in the Clone Saga And what he was doing for the last five years because huh. the idea is that Ben Riley was gone five years, so actually it re- explains what he did for the seven years. Because there was two years between the death of Gwen Stacy and the appearance of the clone originally. So this showed what happened in that seven-year period. And it's actually, it's not bad art. It explains the Scryers. It explains Judas Traveler a little bit more in detail. It shows what, where Norman Osborn was in Europe, why he didn't come back when Harry became the Green Goblin. Um, explains what what else he was doing, why he was too busy to worry about the Hobgoblin when he came on the scene. Um, it, it explains everything. Huh. And, and it all leads up to the beginning of um, Revelations itself. So it's a really nice... It's interesting that in the trade it comes after Revelations, which it kind of needs to so that you don't ruin all the surprises. But I guess so. Uh, if, I mean, I know you have this volume. Uh, uh, I do. I really do recommend reading it. I hadn't... Uh, it's a fantastic I hadn't read. gotten... Like... I remember going through all the Clone Saga stuff when I, as I got them. Mm-hmm. All the Ben Riley epics, I just when I bought them, I threw them on the shelf. I hadn't really yeah. glanced through them to look through all the contents. Well, it's good stuff. And Cal Hotz does the artwork, who I think did the first volume of The Hood. I remember buying this. This was fun. Spider-Man 101 Ways to End the Clone Saga. So this came out January 97. So again, one month after the Clone Saga was officially over. And it's obviously very tongue-in-cheek. It's very silly. All the different ways of them desperately trying to end the Clone Saga but not being able to do so. Um, It's a fun read. And uh, it's meant to be very, as I said, tongue-in-cheek and silly. And it manages to be that. And it's quite effective. It was a fun book. I enjoyed buying it. I enjoyed reading it. So that's that's the Clone Saga. That's a lot of material. In a nutshell. It's a ton of material. it's It's a ton of material. Now... I so again I like the character uh, I like Ben Riley a lot I was always sad that we never really got him to come back uh, I was always hoping eventually he would I did like that he showed up in the Spider-Man animated series I always thought that was awesome that was great very cool I yeah. think he was even blonde wasn't he was he? blonde yes yeah yeah I'm glad they kept that yeah. it was very cool just to see him exist in some sort of continuity um, he they he's there they you know. There's a bunch of naysayers, but at the end of the day, I think he, he has a pretty solid fan base, too. I think a lot of think people still love and respect him, and, and he's come back uh, in in different ways. Whether yeah. it's you know the, the current incarnation of Kane kind of being it, picking up the mantle, rejoining mm-hmm. New Warriors, coming full circle with that. Um, you know, you have the Spider-Verse stuff happening right now. You have all this, you know, Secret War stuff happening right now. It's funny, you had all these summer 2015s mm-hmm. all these classic huge storylines are you surprised you didn't do clone uh clone saga uh, uh sorry 
Well, they only really did one Spider-Man one. Like, they kind of, most of them were either universe-spanning ones or one for per character, more or less. Don't you think? Like, like there was only really, I think, one Hulk one. Um, like, they kind of picked the biggest thing about Hulk that's, or the most popular storyline with Hulk, Planet which was Hulk. Planet Hulk. Um, so that's the old man took. Logan's the, the big one for Wolverine, like yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I mean, it's besides really good, his origin, I mean, that's like kind of the one kind of specific thing. Like, wh- what else are you going to do that hasn't already been done to death? Like the, him becoming Weapon X has been done. That's sure. not as as interesting as seeing old man Logan. I like the nineties X Men one that has me that was stoked. very cool. Yeah, very very much so. So I'm not necessarily that surprised what that they didn't go back to that again? well. What 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 do they do for Spider Man again for twenty fifteen? Uh, renew your vows. Oh right. Which is a, again, if you're trying to get a, a reaction from people, what do you think is bigger and more controversial, the Clone Saga or mm-hmm. One More Day? One more day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, One More Day. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's more of a touchstone, a, a touch point. But but you also have Baby May is in there, which again, like she's in the picture, like she's a right. little girl. That owes a lot. I mean, obviously, it is in uh, One More Day. There is that little girl who shows up, mm-hmm. but also is a character that is very much tied to the Clone Saga. So you can, so it's, there's there's a connection. There. Well, we have Spider Verse going on right now, and they've they've right. actually indicated in there that Ben Riley is special. That because uh, at one point I, I can't remember exactly what was happening, but there was some sort of mental possession that was happening, and he was able to overcome it, but other characters couldn't, and it was because of his kind of innate. Uh, uh, optimism and something sure. about him is stronger. Like he's not six point six Ben Riley, but it's Ben Riley in the Ben Riley Spider Man costume. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would rather him in the Scarlet Spider costume because I know there is some cover art of the actual Scarlet Spider costume. So I don't yeah. know if there'll be another version of Ben Riley in the Scarlet Spider does for another reality that they might throw in at some point in this storyline. Maybe. Um, I do like that. There's actually a Scarlet Spider's. You book? know, yeah. miniseries yeah. with uh, with Kane as Scarlet Spider. You have, uh, I guess, Jessica Drew. This, uh, the ultimate one, right? The ultimate yeah. Jessica Drew as um, whatever she is. Is she called Spider- Scarlet Spider, though? I don't know, I don't actually. I think so. I, maybe. Like, well, I really and then Ben Riley's there, there as Spider-Man. So, right. I mean, but it's it's a good title. And I like the idea it's just the clone book. They're mm-hmm. like they even say in Spider in uh, Spider Verse they're like it's a clone thing you kind of wouldn't understand so the the clones go off to do it together that's cool it's very cool I mean cool. these characters are still around like this the clone saga in its own way is still somewhat oh. relevant exactly so I'll take it like little little stuff like that is, is, is it's more nods to crazy kooks like us who still love the character at least we're getting something absolutely you know uh, and maybe all three of those characters turn to ash after the series over who knows. But or they'll stick around, or we'll, like we'll see. There's so much stuff, you know, with the big, maybe Marvel New Fifty Two reboot. Who knows what's gonna mm. happen, right? Like, True. They can do anything they want. With Secret Wars happening and Convergence that are kind of the same storyline, but at two different companies. <laughs> you've heard about Convergence, right? I've. Uh, it's similar to Secret Wars. Yeah. If you've read about Secret Wars, you're kind of good. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I guess that 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 was our focus on. Uh, on this on the clone saga and i did a lot more in depth than i was anticipated but uh I, I i do like it 
I mean, again, there's there's some garbage in there. Well, if you even look, go back to I think our early early podcast, we always talked about this, and we always said, man, if they ever make you know all the the clone side content, it'd be massive, but I'd get all of it. And here we are sitting on eleven trades of it. Absolutely, right? I remember when so. they when they first solicited it, I almost wet myself. I was just like, there's, <laughs> there's no way they're gonna do this, and they did, it's and awesome. they did. I mean, I can't they're think very of anything... comprehensive. Everything's there. Yeah, everything is yeah. fairly well presented. I mean, I don't think they'll ever ever do any other formats. Well, you can't omnibuy that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Uh, no. Well, you could. <laughs> you absolutely could. It'd be oh multiple, God, multiple, it'd, multiple omnibuy, and uh, uh, you guys have digitally. I'll tell you that much. Digitally, yeah. I mean, if they ever have a reasonable price for it, I'll buy yeah, it. That's sure. the problem too. That they never. I feel like the more stuff they try and pack in, that's why when you told me about Operation Zero Tolerance being for like 20 bucks, something like that, it's got to be wrong. Because the oh, amount of material that's in there, even price. though a lot of it, as we've discovered, is not necessarily oh, no, that great. Good. Uh, Looking it's, back, yes. it's a really good deal. And So every Thursday I'm checking for new collections yeah. and I'm like, nothing makes me impressed. Nothing is a good value. It's true. Well, well you know, the fun thing with digital is, is it's easy for them to, to change that. And there's always crazy sales out of the blue True. Um, that happened. And they can even break it down to the Clone Saga Epic and Ben Riley Epic as two separate bundles and mm. a more reasonable cost, perhaps. Maybe someday. Yeah. I mean, I some of these sales usually seem to come out because there's some sort of cross-pollination they can use that like there's something else going on. Sure. And I doubt we're going to get that necessarily. Yeah, we're, we're not going to get one. 20, you know, 2020, we're going to get this Spider-Man Clone Saga movie, right? Oh my God. That's terrible. <laughs> as long Maybe. as it's one movie and not eight. Yeah. <laughs> the fans are asking for more. Yeah. Uh, and then by like movie five, like oh, they're all like Spider Man, and we're all like, no, he won't be. Yeah, you'll have Andrew Garfield as Spider Man, and Tobey Maguire as Ben, who's the Spider Man. <laughs> That'd be so weird. That'd be really weird. Eh? I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Spider Verse, then, right? Like there all you, you need go. is an animated Spider Ham, and then you're there. You go, then you're good. Right, you can get uh, Neil Patrick Harris as an alternate because uh, he has the voice yeah. in the main series. Right, that's what I liked about guys. Shadow Dimensions having the multiple voices was very cool. That's really nice like, touch. and they were all like from a version of Spider Man. MPH obviously is, I guess, kind of the most famous actor of the bunch. Sure, but I mean, having Christopher Daniel Barnes back as uh, what is it, uh, Noir Spider Man, was interesting and. Uh, although in uh, Edge of Time, he was um, the voice of the uh, 2099 version. Just glad to have him. He's he's always going to be my Spidey. When I when I close my eyes and think of the voice of Spider Man, it's the Spider Man from the 90s series. Absolutely. Is it the same for you? Or yeah, because like, I love Spectacular Spider Man. I don't remember his voice in my head. No, like I can't. It's a, I would remember because you watched that series kind of the one time when it came out, right? Whereas Sp- Spectacular, Spectacular. Yeah. I watched it more than once. Really? I, yeah. I see how I went through the... I have it on Blu-ray. Like, I've watched it multiple. Mm, okay, fair Not, enough. Not... Yes. I wasn't a kid slaving, like, you know, religiously re- recording every episode and then writing it down on my little card inside <laughs> that go inside my VHS and, and taking it out and watching it. Right. Like, no, it's not the same. No, because, you know, it's the you know, 90s X-Men. The, those voices of Xavier and Wolverine True. and that's what I read and I hear when yeah. I read. It's... My second place voice that I hear in my head for Peter Parker is the voice from the original 60s show. That's crazy. I love the 60s show. I, I know just, you do. You're it's crazy. It's not necessarily great, it's but not uh, I intend to make my son watch that someday. And I'm like, I go, Dad, what the bleep is this nonsense? 
And I'll be like, it's trippy 60s it stuff, trippy man. 60s like, stuff. It's got watercolors and he's he's swinging off clouds. Like, that's. Yeah, what's he, what's he attaching to? Why is it the same background running past the Well, I mean, here? you could say the same thing about the Flintstones when no, they're walking around and yes, it all gets yes. repeated, right? Yes, yes. Although, at least then they're not tripping. No. Not much, anyway. But it just shows, you know, the history of, of all this stuff. It's, it's all very. Very cool in its own way, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Paul, thank you for joining me. I, it's super late for us, but uh, I really I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. And uh, I always say that the big one I want to have someday when it's you and Nate is the Age of Apocalypse. But that has to be like a four hour episode. I feel like because that's such an important kind of touchstone for us in terms of our our, monsters. our comic book love. I mean, it's it it plays such a big part in our our formative comic book loving years. I need to go back and do some re- research. And for that? Oh, yeah. For, for sure. that? Like, that sure. that would have to be a really hardcore episode. Where, like, everyone comes with, like, notes. and like, Yeah. Yeah. Although, I feel like that would only make it longer. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent. And they're in my usual tangents and shenanigans. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. No problem. Well, happy birthday again, by oh, the way. Thank you very much. So, thank you for joining us for this episode. And as I said at the beginning, you know, it's my birthday. That's why I chose this. I love, uh, I love the Clone Saga. For all its warts, many of them, but it's still great. And Ben Riley's a fantastic character. It's it's good Spider-Man stuff, right? Like it's it it's really boils down to the core and the essence of the characters. You know his trials, tribulations, and the turmoil, and you know you, you get to see a lot of you know Peter again, and then you light through Ben, mm-hmm. um, as well as where Peter has gotten to through all his you know. At his lowest point, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. right? The only time he ever gets maybe close to this, being this dark again is, is kind of back in black, where they kind of yeah. brought him to that dark place again. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That's probably the the darkest he, he went after that. Yeah. And I think part of that felt more artificial than this. Like, this, this felt like there was more of a reason for him to go dark. Even when he was, you know... You know, freaking out over finding out he was a clone, that still makes more sense because it was just, it was a dark period. Mm-hmm. You know, how would you feel if you found out the last five years of your life you were living someone else's life? And that, it's crazy. And it was, no, it was not your memories ever to begin with. You're only five years old. You know, like, you don't, you don't exist. It's heavy stuff considering it's a Spider Man comic. That's true. <laughs> you know, this, the question of identity, which again, I think went over a lot of younger readers had oh, yeah, back then it did it went over my head yeah, like the absolutely whole identity of you know am i the spider am i the am i you know parker you read it now obviously it's you know it's very purple prose it's very you know overly melodramatic but at the time they were setting they were setting a tone they were trying to do something different they're trying to again underscore the differences between this new unfettered version of spider-man that you could have and this other version that we had who was becoming you kind of drawn down into the into the depths into the into the gutter with all these horrible experiences that they the writers kept throwing him into you know how much until he breaks and he broke yeah so thank you and um we'll catch you next time uh next episode will either be a solicitations episode if i uh have time to do one or it'll be a talking star trek episode with uh with Tibor Mate, as we look at both, um, we're going to do a retrospective. Awesome Star Trek, nice. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to, in the, um, not celebration, but because the new, the last season of TNG is coming out on Blu-ray, and Tibor was super excited about it, he was like, let's watch All yeah, Good Things. Would be, yeah. And All Good Things is probably one of my favorite episodes of TNG. I just love oh. the finale of the series. And he was like, well, hold on. 
let's watch Encounter at Farpoint first. And I'm like, oh my god, that's going to hurt my brain to watch the pilot and then the series finale. Yeah. Like, but we're going to do it. I'm like, all right. And then we're going to podcast about it. And that's where he got me. So it's like, no, oh, I'm going to give you all the good things. I'm in. you got to watch the first episode first. I don't know if I'm in. I'll podcast, podcast about it. Okay. Done. So that, that you know, that. I should actually hook to you where I was, uh, when I was covering at uh, one of the hotels during my transition from my uh, new, new position, um, I met a technician of ours who actually runs a hardcore Star Trek TNG trivia. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! And uh, me and the the other tech at Chelsea, where he he's a Trekkie too, uh, and he was throwing us some questions and some really good stuff. And he yeah. does like uh, I don't know family feud style, but he gets people in groups of like four or five. And they sit at tables and they can work as as teams and yeah. do these these questions. And he has really? like ones that are just you know he plays a voice clip. Who is this character? Who is this person? Yeah. Um, and then he has like, like easy questions and real good stumpers. Really? So I think he would really get a kick out of that, actually. I think he would. Yeah. That seems right up his alley. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Well, again, that might be the next episode. It might be the episode after that. But uh, look look uh, for uh, T-Board to be talking about all good things soon. And uh, I'm finally signing off after 10 minutes of doing so. Uh, <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.